Hello everyone and welcome back to the Super Show podcast. I'm Jamie and I'm very glad to say that I'm joined on this fine evening by Mr. Alex Jones. How are you doing, Jonesy? I am very good, mate. Thank you very much for hosting this one. It's, oh, it's, uh, an absolute it's lovely pleasure. to be here with you. I read a comment last week saying this was long overdue. They said, you've got to get that guy back in the hot seat. There's something to him. <laughs> something special. He's got the, uh, the special, special sauce. He's got the knack. Um, but the main reason I'm doing this, not just because Jonesy didn't really want to, is because we are still without our fine friend Chris. He hasn't been able to return to the hot seat this week. However, I should add that he is he's doing well. He's at home. He's resting up. He's taking it easy, doing everything he needs to do to get back to 100% before we can welcome him back with open arms for all his hot takes and trash opinions, I guess. Yeah, it's not quite the same when he's not here, is it? uh, There's something lacking, for sure. Yeah, well, literally, there's a whole third of the process, a whole big old piece of the pie (laughs) lacking. Um, Thank you, everyone, by the way, who uh, left comments last week, wishing him well. Um, It was nice, I'm sure he uh, appreciated being able to see so many people, leaving lovely messages. Um, And yeah, hopefully we'll see him back next week. Um, And hopefully you can see him. And if you can't see our faces right now, well, that must mean you're not watching us on YouTube where we are available, and we do put out a video version of this podcast. If you are watching us on YouTube, then why not head down to the comments section? Maybe let us know that you're here. Say hi. We do often try and respond, and of course, we pick out comments of the week every week. We're also available on Twitter, if you wanted to reach out to us that way, at Super Show Podcast. And of course, if you just wanted to listen to the Super Show, you didn't want to see any of our faces, although I, I don't know why you'd come to that conclusion. We are, of course, available on all major podcasting platforms. You know the deal by now. It's Spotify, it's iTunes, it's Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you'd like to go to listen to us, you probably can. And if you can't, well, that's on them at some point. Like, we're doing all we can. It's, you know, There's only so much we can do. There's only so many places we can be. We're a skeleton crew at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> Three people, two of them are dads, full-time dads, I should add, you know. We we can't get on every platform, just deal with it. One platform, though, Jonesy, I'm glad to say we are still a part of, is that the Super Show podcast is broadcast over internet radio, believe it or not, over at Paisley Radio. If you want to tune into that, that's paisleyradio.com. We have a weekly slot every Thursday at 10 p.m. our time. I don't know what that is your time, but you can figure that part out. That's the, the joy of maths. Just simple additional subtraction. You'll get there in the long run. Once again, paisleyradio.com. Tune in. And if you are listening to us over on paisleyradio.com, hello, welcome. And might I suggest popping over and visiting the YouTube channel if you do have a spare minute, because there's all kinds of fun content that lives on there nowadays, including, Jonesy, some shorts that you've been cutting out that I feel like I have to mention. Tell the folks about shorts. (laughs) Shorts. Shorts are a new thing that YouTube have started uh, pushing quite heavily on the mobile app, whereby you can take a clip which is uh, effectively a minute or less, and we can snip out that length of time from the podcast. Uh, we can upload it, um, and it goes on your mobile as a vertical video because we make it vertical as well. We you can get a little, t- a little taste, just a little slice. It's good, um, yeah. It was kind of like a, a perfect marriage in some respects, wasn't it? YouTube are pushing this sort of new format of videos, if you will, and we have a podcast that, you know, not everyone can sit down and listen to two, two and a half, maybe even three hours in one block at a time. So why not give them a little teaser, a little taste of what might be ma- waiting in the full episode? It was also my uh, my hope that we, want, we might reach some more people who wouldn't necessarily know who we were, but would see us through the short shelf and would say, my, what trash opinions these guys have <laughs> yeah. in 60 seconds. Let me go check out uh, more, of the, more of the whole podcast. But yeah, we'll see. We'll there see how go. it goes. Yeah, keep an eye on it. And of course, if you are... 
one of the people who frequent the YouTube page and you see them popping up, please do give them a view, a like, comment, let us know what you think. Obviously, that's just us trying out something new, trying to <laughs> do what YouTube wants us to do, apparently, to get this thing not quite off the ground. We're happy with where we are, but, you know, there's room for growth, so why not explore it, eh? Absolutely. Right, Jonesy, I thought we'd jump in. You know, speaking of getting people involved and asking them to like and comment and stuff like that, jump in with a comment of the week because it actually touches back on a point we already made that we have missed Chris and his hot takes. Um, turns out we're not the only one because Kasim left a comment last week saying, hope Chris gets better soon. I miss his perverted opinions already. And it's Kasim is right. Chris's opinions are usually like phallic in nature. Is that fair to say? If Chris had been on this podcast now we already would have had 10 mentions of his balls in some you know it's to some degree and other phallic penis related things he can't he can't keep his mind off of it he absolutely can't and one thing i know that he would have absolutely have had an opinion about last week was the uh the antagonist the newly revealed antagonist of resident evil village which uh we talked about last week jonesy because she appeared to be a giant vampiric lady that the internet immediately got uh, extremely thirsty for in ways that confused us is that fair to say at first uh yeah maybe it was it was an odd reaction and you know what i'm quite glad and i ironically we mentioned it um it was the the what's the word it was the topic of one of the shorts of which i pulled out yes, from last was. week was us talking about sort of i suppose my reaction to seeing on twitter how a lot of people had reacted to the um that character what's her name i can't even say it lady, lady dimitrescu Dim or something like that. a proper romanian Dim name isn't it yeah dimitrescu um and how thirsty a lot of people were in their in their reactions to her took me by surprise and but i wasn't the only one i've seen articles pop up on the guardian um and a load of other places talking about uh how thirsty people got on twitter for um it's unreal for this character yeah. Just before we uh, proceed with the uh, talk of Lady Dimitrescu and her big assets, uh, just so I know for my own sanity, are you muting and unmuting yourself every time you talk because there's a dog barking in the background? I did. She's outside now. My, <laughs> I my knew, wife I knew something was going on. It was like we were talking over walkie-talkie for a second, where every time I paused, there was this moment where Jonesy's like, right, unmute myself. <laughs> so the dog was, was shouting. She literally walked. I trust the second we start recording, See, she walked up behind me and went. Roo. I think people like it. It's kind of like you know how some people like to fall asleep to the sounds of rainfall or the rainforest, like not naturally comforting things. But it's almost this idea that something else is going in the background, uh, you know, <laughs> puts you at puts you at ease. No, mm, I don't know. When you've got a, a large woolly white and grey dog shouting like a foot from you it can be quite i don't know it can be less than comforting i'm not a dog owner i'm, I'm trying to relate to the people i'm trying <laughs> to make up for my childhood and the severe lack of pets anyway back to resident evil uh this did actually tie into a new story because you mentioned sort of the furore around this character and how much interest she was generating and how so many mainstream outlets uh picked up on her somehow uh it turned out that someone at Capcom decided to respond, specifically uh, Tominori Takano, who I believe is, he's like the art director or something like that. Uh, he put out a post, and or rather Resident Evil and their Twitter handle put out a post sort of on his behalf, confirming one of the more discussed elements of this character, her height, Jonesy. And we now know for sure that Lady Dimitrescu, apologies on the pronunciation if that is wrong, but I'm saying it with confidence because that's what you're meant to do, apparently. <laughs> is nine foot six inches if you include her hat and high heels. Pretty impressive. 
I see. I don't think you can include her hat and her high heels. I mean, don't get me wrong; she's still, I, I imagine, going to be an impressive eight foot <laughs> eleven or something. Um, yep. But that is a very impressive height. She could definitely make it in the basketball leagues if she was. Um, Jeez, yeah. Also, being able to fly, I imagine, uh, like her daughters, would also help in basketball. So. She, you're right. She would there crush that. The, what's it called? The WNBA. Yes, she, I'm sure she would. Um, I've got to say though, I think her height is probably the third most talked about asset that she has. I think I was ab- I was about to say to you, I know what the first is, but I wonder what the second <laughs> is, and then I realised. Yes, yes um, absolutely. Here's the question though: Do the people who want to get stepped on by her imagine her heels on or heels off? Oh, heels on. Heels on. You don't. Yeah, you don't like. What, like manky old feet stepping all over you. Yeah, but no, what if they're stilettos? You're going to get a hole in whichever part you're being stepped on. <laughs> well, yeah, but they just don't. They can just step on with the front of the stiletto. Uh, not, no, not no. the point. Look, I'm not out here to fat shame or anything like that. But women or not, you can't be nine foot six and not wear. <laughs> so this is like, we're talking about a 400 pound lady right here in stuffing her like giant vampire feet into her stilettos. <laughs> like she's going to put a hole she- through you. She's okay, but at least she's going to have reasonably sized feet. Because what you don't want is if she had little tiny, <laughs> tiny feet and stilettos. You know, we all know about pressure and area, weight over divided by we, area. We don't That's going to be worse. We don't know anything about her feet. I, I, I'm assuming they're sizable. I think they've got to be massive. That's what, yeah. big people always have big feet. I find. Well, oh, yeah, they'd fall over. Dramatic. It's re- in. It's relative, isn't it? Relative to their size, they'd look really funny with little tiny feet. Just spitballing here. Do you think there's a sitcom idea in that? It, like, here's the elevator pitch. Uh, it's a comedy, a comedy caper in which a man is born and he is nine foot tall, but his feet stop growing at the age of four, so he just falls over all the time. Every time he tries to run, he just falls over. Yeah, um, I'm gonna say no, mate. Unfortunately. What if it was a sketch show and every sketch ended in? It just the punchline was he fell over, kind of like how Kenny dies in South Park, except. It's the giant guy with baby feet falling over again. It's like he's got hooves. Yeah. It's just like ding, 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 like a fawn. Like, uh, what's the, what's the, there's a video, isn't there, where uh, some guy's in a public bathroom and he's taken cones, like the kind of cones that would direct traffic and stuff like that, and put them upside down and put his feet in them. So he's almost walking on these, like, it's like he's doing <laughs> ballet, but he's walking on cones and eventually he just falls over. Just completely stacks it. Seen, I'll find that link I've not seen that. I'll that find sounds that amazing. I think they're actually but the any- wet floor to, uh, fl- wet floor uh, cones as well in the toilet. But no, look, I I think I think Lady Dimitrescu's going to have you know pretty reasonable feet. But I'm a ma- but then some people are into feet, so then maybe they want the, the stilettos off. Maybe, but um, room room there was, for yeah. a secret ending maybe that reveals more about her feet. Just maybe. I'm. Do you know what though? I've seen a few theories as to why people are so into this um this large lady. Okay, and I think because well, like these this day and age, especially on Twitter, right? There's a whole line where it's like, you can't be into uh, rugged. You can't be into like rugged old school men because they're the problem, right? Okay. So it's safe if you just want to get with like an epically large lady who can yeah. throw you around and be mean to you and stuff. It's the it's a dominatrix thing. That's what they want: whips and chains and and stiletto heels. It's true. It's it's like we. I think we talked about last week, or maybe someone brought it up on Discord. I can't remember, but the Future Armor episode. With the giant women and the snoo snoo and Fry and the <laughs> yeah. other male characters, they don't know whether they're like aroused by it or completely frightened by the fact that these ten fit women just want to fuck them all day, and that's understandable. I think, a, uh, yeah, I think people people are worried on Twitter that if they come on there and say like that they want the mountain to like, you know, 
take them out and and do naughty things to them that's that they might get that people <laughs> might say you are part of the problem so they're like safe if they go with the giant vampire nine foot tall lady yeah somehow that is a safer uh but it's not. It's she's probably going to kill you. She's going to be like a praying mantis. She's going to bite your head off the second she's finished with you. True, actually. And that, I don't like the sound of that. Unless it's in VR. I would like to be... I, w- I don't know. I feel it would be interesting to have your head eat, bitten off in VR, no? It actually would. Or decapitated in s- VR. That's what I was... That's when you said that, I immediately thought decapitated. Because then you could kind of... The, the vision would follow that, but your body would then like be in front of you and like fall over. That would just be like, like a, a vomit simulator, wouldn't it? Like a decapitation simulator to 2021. Like you just because yeah, you, you'd just be spinning around and falling. That would be what's the, is um which one is it? Is it Bad Blood where you get where uh, BJ gets his head lopped off? Oh, the the new Colossus. New Colossus. New Colossus. Colossus. New if they had the VR version of that, it'd be pretty cool. It would be. Well, I'll put in a good word with uh, Machine Games. i say, scrap that whole Indiana Jones thing. Make a decapitation beheading simulator. Um, yes. Anyway. Uh, oh, no, I just thought of something, oh, I just thought of something bad. Go I on. You have worse. to share it now. You know there's that whole weird thing where people are into, like, stepmums and stuff on um, like, Pornhub. I'm aware. I'm aware because the front page of every single website <laughs> on planet Earth is infested with it. It's like this. It's this. It's the takeover by you know stepmums and and that sort of weirdness. Do you think it's that? Do you think it's the fact that people are like, oh, his this is the Uber oh. stepmom. Oh you know no, what? I don't like it. I hadn't considered it, but no, she I does kind like of it. give off like sort of stepmom vibes. Yeah, and she's like, she's got the daughters there, but then you're in her house. It could be a weird stepmom yeah. thing because the, her the relationship between Ethan and her is kind of like there's clearly something very maternal about her. But I could still fuck her legally, and that's the you know, that's oh, the foundation no. of all those videos. I don't like it anymore. I'm going to go back to Twitter, and on all those people have commented, I'm just going to go. I bet you love all that stuff. On <laughs> you're what? You're again. The, you're part of the problem. If, but if the front pages of it. these websites are anything to go by, I think most people nowadays are part of the problem. No one owns up to yeah, it, yeah. but everyone notices yeah. it. So some of us have got to be closet, and I don't know why. I'm not going to put a label on them, but you know, <laughs> they've got to like it. Someone has to. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you're right. We uh, digress. We digress. I mean, for all the Lady Dimitrescu stuff, and as interesting as it has been, I'm not sure I'm yet convinced that uh, I will be able to play Resident Evil Village. Certainly not on my own. Um, but Jonesy and I have been able to play some other games this past week, including some hot, fresh, brand new titles. But before we get to them, and before we rack up, wrap up what we've been up to in the last week, it's only right, Jonesy, that we give some shout-outs to our supporters, our patrons, over on patreon.com forward slash super show, the folks at home who are generous enough to keep the lights on over here and allow this podcast to keep going week after week after week, even when the world conspires against us, as it has recently. Um, so shout-outs this week to AIM, Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brett Z, a.k.a. Shellshock, Hacksaw Bookread, Jesper Cam Darnielson, Jovella Cujo, Leo Merger, Lonnie Thompson, Matt Howie, Magic Grits, Mindful Pig, Nathan Pierce, Pastors Guild, Scary Omen, Sean Kennedy, Starfall Kid, Zach Cream, and the head honchos, The Big Dogs, Freddy Carefischel, Severed Limbs, Manuel Guerrero, Peaswad, and The Dude Abides. Thank you all very much for your patronage, for uh, your donations, for your kindness, for your generosity. But as I said, keeping the lights on and keeping us going, uh, we hope you are enjoying the podcast we are giving out in return. Uh, anyway, as I promised, Jonesy, how about a little bit of a catch-up? 
Yeah, let's do it, mate. So, um, shall I go first? Shall I tell you what I've been playing? Please do. Well, you know one of them because uh, um, I do. Actually, I I'll, do. Li- I'll leave it till last. We can talk about that a bit of a crossover. Oh, okay. Um, I've uh, so I decided because of Control Unlimited coming to um, PlayStation's uh, PlayStation Plus this month. I thought um, after last week's podcast because we mentioned it and I hadn't had a chance to dip into it yet. I would have a little play of Alan Wake because I never actually got around to playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I bought it back after uh, when I can't even remember. Maybe it was before Control. Um, but I've ha- I've owned it for a while, but I had a really weird thing that I couldn't install it for some reason. I forgot about that, hmm. and I then had the same problem again. But I finally managed to get it installed on my PC. Um, played a bit of that, and yeah, cool. Like I'm enjoying it so far. I'm not that very far into it, right? Um, but you know, it's it's an old game. It is what it is. I'm sure a lot of people have played it and enjoyed it. It's a uh, it's a very interesting um, uh, dark game that I've wanted to play for a while. So I'm sort of getting in, getting into that. Uh, but then today I started playing Pokemon Sword. Did you um, start playing it, or was this more of a family affair? It was more of a family affair. Okay. Uh, but I, yeah, um, me and the me and the kid have been playing a lot of Pokemon. Uh, Let's go, Eevee! And he'd finally got every. And I hadn't got around to. I think if anyone's heard the podcast before, they'll know that I was sort of. I think I mentioned that I was trying to. Um, source people who've played let's go pikachu so we could do some swapping so he can fill out his pokedex because he was pokedex because he he was missing a few but he's got to the point where he's he maxed it out as much as he can without trading and he'd played that game to exhaustion so we were like hey let's get him a new pokemon game so yeah today got some pokemon sword and it's very cool it's cool making that transition from old style game like uh eevee let's go eevee to make it to a much more new style pokemon game um in sword like just some of those quality of life improvements um it yeah. feels pretty different and they pivoted away from some of the more pokemon go inspired elements didn't they like i went i think was it uh let's go pikachu and eevee they didn't have a traditional battling system with wild pokemon you just caught the pokemon and that's how you got xp whereas sword of course is the traditional style of every pokemon encounter is an actual battle yeah, exactly. So um, that you, you you had to, especially if you're using the motion controllers, I don't know if you had to use them, but you had to actually throw the Pokeball as well on Let's Go Eevee. You had to like throw it as though you would if you were playing it in Pokemon Go. We had to actually throw the ball at the Pokemon. It was kind of like that. And you're right, you didn't have to battle them, but you got you got XP just for, for making the catch. And you had a circle which would shrink down. Yes. And when it got really small, if you hit it, you would get... That was a lot more chance of catching it than if it was a bigger circle. I remember. Uh, Fascinating. Yeah. But um, no, this is much more traditional um, uh, in that sense, but it's different in a lot of other senses because Pokemon Let's Go Eevee feels like an old school Pokemon game. It's very much more of that, that you know, the look... And the style is, is um, and the way that you walk around, and there's just people just standing there, and it doesn't feel like a new game. It doesn't feel like a modern game in that sense. It feels like an older school Pokemon game. Yeah. Um, whereas this, there's some dynamism to it, like the the way they've created, even just like walking around, you can move the camera in some places, which is you know a bit of a novel thing, and you don't have to fight everybody that you come across. It's not just you walk near them and they go ah. You can mm. kind of try and avoid their eye line and. They're moving about and stuff. So, has, has it been for the, for the little one, for the boy? Has it been a natural progression to go from Let's Go Eevee to Sword, or are some of the more kind of open ended elements like you said, three D camera control, and I know there's uh, the Dynamaxing or whatever it's called, where things go massive. 
Like, have they been sort of natural in terms of the onboarding process? Yeah, pretty much. He can't read because he's four, so uh, he's a bit of a nightmare when it comes to a lot of that stuff because he just clicks through everything. Um, and he's then like, "What am I supposed to do?" And he, he's very good at picking it up. And like you said, it's very. It's, so it's it has it's a quite a natural progression. It's not there's not a big barrier to entry for like how to get to grips with it. The only thing he has had is I think I want to say in like Let's Go Eevee, it almost was like very difficult to lose a battle. It seemed. Just the, or maybe it's the way that you'd leveled. You just seem to always have a decent level. But yeah, we encountered our first battle just through the normal story where he lost. And he was like, what's going on? And I'm like, you need to level up. You need to yeah. get some better Pokemon. You're not just going to win everything. That's the thing. That's the one of the interesting discussions around Pokemon recently is obviously Pokemon's fan base is still so, so broad in terms of age. Some people want way more of a chance than others do. And for every person like your son who, like, you know, will go through something like Let's Go Eevee without losing a battle, which is kind of crazy when you think about an entire JRPG story, and it's, like, normal, that's what you come to expect. And then there's people who want the challenge, and then controversial items like the XP share or whatever it's called, where, of course, your lead Pokemon might win a battle, but every other Pokemon in the party gets some XP, so everything's leveling. And I, I remember being a kid, uh, maybe slightly older than, than yours is now, and playing Pokemon... And being like, why is this game so hard? And it's because I got to the Elite Four with like a level 60 Charizard and everything else in my party was like level 20. And I was like, why do I die <laughs> yeah. the second my lead Pokemon faints? Um, but I guess it's all part of the learning process. Well, he's... Uh, I think we talked about this with um, Cyberpunk, but I, where I said I was picking stuff based on how it looked as opposed to some of the armor stats. And you were like, that is a very interesting like option. And I was just like, hey, man, I want to look cool. Um, but then, yeah, he was doing the same thing with his Pokemon selection. He was like, these ones look really cool. I'm like, yeah, it's a level five and you're going against a level 45. Like, this is not going to go well. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, he's, he's, he's learning. He's learning. How, slowly, how, how will you feel if he'll, he comes out of this experience and his favorite genre of games are JRPGs? I'd be fine with that. Like, uh, if I consider sort of some of the other things he could get into, you know, gaming wise, I wouldn't necessarily think that that was a problem. I think JRPGs are, are quite good. What if he uh, gets so into JRPGs that he comes to it you one day what and ones. says, oh, this is where I'm going with it. What if he comes to you one day and says, Daddy, how old do I have to be before I can do my Lady Dimitrescu fan art? <laughs> yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting. Not till you're I, 18. I, 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 do you know what? I forgot. You gave me a task after the last podcast, maybe the one before. Oh, blimey, I can't remember. Which was to play some Persona 5. We did give you that part task, yeah. That was the week before because Chris was still here. Right, and I did it, and I completely forgot that I did it. Shit, how much did you play? I played, I played like an hour. Okay. And my plan, yeah. my plan is to play more, because after an hour, I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> like, I'm glad to hear it. Genuinely, I was. It's so. I mean, it's an old game anyway, which so it's got that going for it, or not going for it, but it felt weird. Like it was very much of a. Because it kind of puts you in a place and then it's like, it's, it feels like it's open world, but you can literally go down one street and up another street. There's nowhere else to go. And mm. you're just supposed to walk to here and meet this guy and have a conversation. And there's a lot of chatting. And then there's some weirdness some <laughs> oh. with people with strange, like people who look freaking weird. Um, and all, um, I don't even know. I played an hour and I don't know what's going on. Oh God. I, I really want to hear more. I, I think, see, you know the, I need to do like a three-hour session. Yeah. I need to crank it out. 
I know we've always joked before that there's some like there's potential content in the idea of like making someone play something they're not used to. And then what we always joked about was like, oh, what if you and me had to play Dota and stuff like that? But I think there's something very fascinating about the the opinions you come away from games like Persona Five with, and just hearing <laughs> your feedback on like, yeah, if you manage to get a three hour session in, I think that would be fucking gold. It was. I, I suppose like you never you never think about the barrier to entry of just knowing what things are. Mm. and how things work like so let's say a pokemon game if you'd never heard of pokemon and you just picked up a pokemon game it would seem so alien because it would be like you wouldn't know like what why am i trying to catch this thing in a ball like why is there a dog running around that i throw a ball out that gets blue a blue light comes out of and it's in the ball like it would really weird you out yeah because you would have no idea but with something like persona i genuinely was like, i don't know what's going on like the, i'm a demon but i'm a kid i look <laughs> like a schoolboy. Like a thirty-year-old schoolboy. I think you might be a schoolboy, and I think the I think the word persona actually refers to like a weird, like demonic inner self that all of these people have. Um, yeah, so there is some strange thing that there are demons who are like in human form, but they're almost yeah. like jinns or joke or like is that I think that's the word for them. But they're like these weird trickster demons, like yokai. Who, I don't know. Maybe don't know. I'm, I'm just I think words you're supposed to be one. I think you have one. And I think there's this weird thing where, like, Persona splits its thing up between daytime, where you have this finite amount of uh, actual time to do things like interact with other NPCs and build relationships, and, you know, you can only invest in so many sort of different strands of that before you actually run out of time in each day, and there's only a finite amount of days as well. And in the evenings are when you go out and do these sort of more traditional turn-based combat-style dungeons, and I I don't know. I don't know if you reached any of that shit. No, I haven't. I haven't. I did. I got to my first night time, and I had some weird dream where a little man with giant eyes and a big nose was talking about the fact that we'd be seeing more of me. And I was in some. I was in like purgatory, okay. and then I was went back to the real one. I was chatting to some <laughs> bloke um, about living in his house, but because I was, I'd say it's the most insane setup. You go to live with this bloke because you stop a woman from getting raped, and because you do that, that you get sent away like you get arrested and sent away because the guy was quite powerful and like what her and the the dude you go to live with is like oh i heard you got into a fight because some woman was getting attacked uh you idiot and you're like what do you mean how am i the bad guy in this situation surely i should be getting all the the praise from protecting the lady very strange it it reminds me of when chris and i used to not clash but discuss final fantasy 7 as i was playing the remake for the first time (laughs) And how many of the defences of some of those stranger elements hinged on the fact that it was just part of the charm. And you wonder <laughs> if that's the case with games like Persona 5 and their fans, they're sort of they're some of the more ardent defenders. If it's just like, yeah, that's just the game, that's part of the fun, that's why people like it. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that if you get into I'm sure the part of the thing about that is the fact that the guy was, I think because he's supposed to be some politician or some like a power, powerful bloke. So I get that like element, but it just does seem a bit weird. So if people knew that was the reason you got you got res- arrested or you got so- like surely they would they wouldn't then i don't know, it's I weird. Don't know. i'll play anyway. some, but i'm gonna play some more and i'm gonna see how it goes but yes. the new game that i got to play this uh this week with you jamie got to play some was some destruction all stars that's right um on the playstation 5 playstation plus this month get it if you have not got it already add it to your library exactly yeah um i guess yeah we we kind of i think we previewed it a little bit last week but this is a new multiplayer and potentially also single player but multiplayer focused almost destruction derby game uh 
where you pick a hero character and drive around an arena trying to hit and smash your opponents across a variety of game modes, each with their own objectives. Um, and uh, I guess that's pretty much it. Like the, the, With the exception yeah. of being... It differentiates itself by the fact that you can get out of your car, either on demand or because you're smashed out of it, get new ones, call in hero cars that relate to the character you picked at the beginning. It's got some ideas, but... Um, it, I don't know. What, how, where are you? Where are you at with it? I guess that's a good place to start. So I'm. I th- so when we played it, I think we both agreed about a couple of things. The presentation is very, very good. Um, it looks fantastic. It sounds great. You pointed out some things to me that I didn't even notice. So the way that they've done uh, some nice things with music around characters works really well. Uh, the way that they utilize the haptic feedback and the controls. You know when. Um, your character's like running and you can feel their little feet going ding, 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 ding mm-hmm. as they're running along. All that Love stuff that. is very nice. Um, the implementations of some of that technology is very good. It sounds great. I can't remember the guy's name. They've got the MMA uh, dude who Bruce does the... Buffer. And, R- Bruce Buffer. the ring announcing who says like, you know, let's go. Mm-hmm. And it, sound, it sounds great. Um, also, like the, the cars handle really nicely. The haptic feedback when you launch a car off of a platform, you know, like you pull it back, it stops like a hard stop and you have to really pull it to launch the car off. That stuff's wicked. Everything's great. Mm. The problem that that game has for me is when you start playing the actual game and you kind <laughs> of go, the game modes, I suppose it would be, is um, smashing into people's fine. Like just crashing into other cars seems fine. It feels, the driving feels good. Um, like you said, some of the hero, star, hero car stuff feels cool. It feels like a lot of it needs tweaking though. Like how easy it is to hit other people, how much of a boost you get when you sort of try and crash into another car. But you then throw in, like, the getting out of the vehicle I found kind of pointless, apart from launching myself into the air to get into a new car. Because for people that don't know, there are sort of these floating platforms all around the place with new cars on. And if your car gets destroyed to a certain degree, you can just hit X, launch out of the roof of your car, and you, like, glide through the air and then hop into another car. And you, you don't even have to touch the floor, really. Um, it feels like there may have been, that could have had more work done to it. Mm-hmm. Some of the out-of-car stuff could, get a lot, could have had a lot more love. That feels more, I suppose, less, or has had less love paid to it, whereas the driving feels pretty cool. The game modes are just kind of a bit vanilla for me. Yeah, they were actually one of the main disappointments for me, where we tried a few different things, and some of them felt counterintuitive, like one where you need to generate uh, gears or sort of like these cogs by smashing other players, which makes sense. But you then have to get out of your car to collect them and cash them in. It felt like a weird way of them, as one example of what the game modes are and aren't doing well, it, it, them designing a game mode around a conceit that requires you to get out of the car to make getting out of the car a more natural part of the process, whereas you've yeah. just highlighted, it doesn't really, it doesn't feel bad. The on-foot movement feels okay, like the jump feels fine, there's some free-running stuff in there, some parkour, like wall running and things like that, and when you're on a little path collecting some gems which help power up your your sort of your, your alt, if you will, there's like an on-foot ult, which just makes you faster and have a double jump. And then your car's ult, which is your specific hero car, gets spawned. Um, but I never felt... It never felt necessary. It was always just like, no. okay, I'm on foot. I've got to try and get back in the car because the match is continuing to go on around me. And like in, in some game modes, like, oh, I'm losing points. Like People are getting ahead of me because I'm not smashing into things. I need a car. I fa- it's funny that you said about the the like the parkour elements because some of the wall running and things they felt quite cool and I was mm. I was kind of into that and but like you said yeah the only time you get out of your car is because you say well I need a few gems um, because I want to get my hero car 
But yeah, as soon as I've got my hero car or as soon as I've got to another car, I'm not going to s- spend any time out of it. They then do the thing where once you collect gears in the in the mode, I think we we're talking about, you can bank them in one of the modes where you stand on a podium. Um, so again, you've got to get out of your car to stand on the podium. And it, it does feel a bit forced. Um, the one thing I thought immediately when I'd, after I'd played a couple of hours was how much better that game would have felt if there was a couple of race modes in um, where you could smash and yeah. crash into people, but you weren't your aim wasn't just to smash people. The aim was to win the race. Yeah. Um, but. Like, again, like Burnout, like probably one of the most famous sort of like smash-adjacent car games of all time and the most popular of all time, which, again, did weave in... Uh, racing and and smashing quite nicely in some of its entries. Um, yeah, because they they easily could have taken the aesthetic as well, because you could have had like NASCAR feel where you're going around a track inside a building, going through things, and you know mm. throw in some of that burnout feel to it, and having to smash other people. And you even could have included the jumping out of the car to get in another car because you your car was smashed up and stuff. Yeah, but when the whole aim in nearly every game mode as well seems to be smash someone else. If you aren't great at smashing someone else then you're going to not stick with this game. Because you, no. you've got to smash someone to get gears, you've got to smash someone to uh, get points in the sort of the main, uh, what do they call it, like mayhem mode. Yes. There is, a, there is a mode where you get points just for hitting people, ramming people, um, which I think is the Carnado. Uh, you don't need to smash people in that. But again, if you smash people, you get a lot more points. Yes, you always get the I most know, points man. for knocking someone. Like, you mentioned there, like, whether or not it's going to get people to stay. Like, that's always the key metric of this stuff, right? I think we mentioned a number of times over the recent months that it was absolutely vital that they made the decision to not sell this game for full price because this was planned as a $70 launch title and give it out for free. Now that I've played it, it's very hard to imagine this thing being anything other than free because even as a free game, it's not hard to question, okay, I didn't have a bad time playing this with Jonesy, but, like, when am I next going to voluntarily boot this up and just have a drive around? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. And I think it's just because, as we've kind of mentioned, it's like high highs and low lows. Like, the smashing doesn't feel bad. The driving doesn't feel bad. If anything, they both feel kind of good. But what doesn't feel good, as we've all experienced probably with Destruction Derby type games like Wreckfest or whatever, driving around and just missing people over and over again or feeling like you weren't quite fast enough to T-bone someone like enough of those things happening in one event or one thing and you're like man that kind of felt like a bummer and then yeah. you throw in the fact that the, the <laughs> i i so, sorry. No, i agree i agree for what it's worth i agree i think me and the dog are, 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 are like-minded on this um and then like the progression is sort of i guess a bit bit reductive but it's almost overwatch style like a few emotes and some reskins for the characters and their cars but that's not appealing there's um the, the characters themselves I, you, like, I like uh, you mentioned you mentioned to me before like, just on on the uh the, the progression and customization i can't remember the game it was we were talking about um oh uh, no i'll tell you what i think it was marvel's avengers where we were talking about how you can customize characters yes and i must admit i clicked through some of these customizations for the characters and the cars and was surprised at how much in-game currency they wanted to charge you just to change your color from, let's say you were like, you had one outfit and was a, a, had some red um, highlights and your yeah. car had some red highlights. It would charge you a hell of a lot to just change well, it to yellow. I think it's because it's all the, like, do you remember with Overwatch? And again, it's just so easy to go back to because it, for me, it was kind of like the archetypal version of that style of customization progression. 
every character, every hero in Overwatch, they'd have like a, a really easy to attain tier of skins, which just like yeah. slightly tweaking the colors, then a little bit more dynamic, then a little bit more dynamic, then a final tier that were the hardest to get that were like, actually, this isn't just a reskin or a recolor, I should say. There's some different elements here. Like we've actually changed the outfit, so on and so forth. You know, it, the thing that makes uh, Roadhog go from some crazy like gas mask guy into like a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or whatever it was, I forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <sighs> Destructural Stars doesn't have that final tier. So it essentially ends up asking you to pay, uh, like, to my knowledge, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but every single character I looked at didn't have a skin that changed the physical properties of the character or the car. Everything were just different color schemes. Let me I'll double check. But it kind of, they did with one character I looked at, okay, or not? Maybe okay. not. Maybe not like in the same way as we're saying with Overwatch. But it did. It did more, and but it was much more remember, expensive. Like, so, Soldier seventy six. Like one of his ones is like he's some like World War Two like Vietnam guy. Like like it doesn't have that. Is what I'm trying no, to say. No, no, it no, it doesn't have that. It had it to a more of a degree than just changing some colors but it was nowhere near the sort of what you'd want with overwatch yeah and the other thing that with overwatch that was that was absolutely i think was brilliant the way they did it was i played quite a lot of um, overwatch back in the day like when it came out i unlocked a legendary skin for reinhardt um just through playing i didn't spend any money onto it mm. um i got one of those crates i popped it open and uh, i mained reinhardt at the time and I happened to get a legendary skin for him, like you've said, that changed physical properties. Yes. And I was genuinely like, that's wicked. Yeah. Like, what a great reward. Whereas Destruction All-Stars, if I'm not mistaken, everything like that is behind a paywall for in-game currency. Yeah. So I've, I'm never going to, by accident, get some great well, skin that would cost yeah. me thousands it, it, of whatever. It's weird, because that's a totally valid point, and I agree. But what we're essentially complaining about is the fact that uh, Destruction All-Stars doesn't have loot boxes. There's no randomized or blind <laughs> giveaways. Uh, yeah. Everything, everything is. Uh, every, so there's an in-game currency, like Jonesy said, that everything is uh, you can buy for that. And then there's a premium currency that you can buy the PlayStation Store that the like the top top tier items can be bought for. Um, but the other but the other reason I think it doesn't matter, like you mentioned Reinhardt and I mentioned Roadhog. Like, funnily enough, fucking five almost five years later, we're both still name dropping our favorite Overwatch characters because you remember the Overwatch characters. But and you mm. remember the Apex Legends heroes and, and so on and so forth. Everyone's got their own version of that. But I remember I was watching an IGN video about Destruction All Stars, and they compared to the the lineup of Destruction All Stars characters to uh, the three games they mentioned were, um, uh, what 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 was the um, uh, all all these names are escaping me now. Um, <laughs> Bleeding Edge was one, which was the uh, Ninja Theory developed Xbox exclusive right. third, yeah. third person melee character action game. Uh, Lawbreakers, the Cliff Blazinski first person shooter that was meant to be like the anti Overwatch that immediately died. Like these yeah. ones that, like, okay, you've got talented people making cool characters, but in a game that no one's going to play long enough to ever care for them. And they just of, will fade away. One of the massive mistakes I think they made with this is when you get into it, like, so when you, you have to do like a little training thing and they give you a dude called Shift. Yes. Who is this cool um, uh, metal, uh, <laughs> the French band. The, the, who do uh, the, a French band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do the... Like, Daft Punk. Daft Punk. He's got like the Daft Punk helmet on. Not quite like that, but he's got like a, some crazy helmet on and he can turn invisible and he's got his own car, which is a Shift car. And that's what I thought that was really cool. And then you see this roster of characters, and I was like, okay, so they're going to give me a limited number of these characters I can pick from. And then as I develop and progress, I'm going to be able to unlock more. No, every character was unlocked. 
and you could be any of them and you kind of have to go through each one and go like what are the benefits of each of these characters why am i choosing this guy over that person and it takes you such a long time to go through play try a new character and some of those little bonuses and some of those hero cars and like buffs and stuff you get as different characters they seem a bit pointless they don't yeah, they do. Because at the end of the day, if you aren't the very good, or you're not, you know, good at simply hitting the ball, hitting the ball, and now I'm thinking Rocket League, if you're <laughs> yeah. not good at simply hitting the other car, all of that's irrelevant. Like, it's it all yeah. comes down to, can you T-bone another there, car, and or are you going to miss? There were a number of times where I did the classic thing, character lineup, choosing my thing before a match, Press square to view the hero details, the character details, as we've all as we've all done a million times on these games before. Saw what their ability was and said no. Not like <laughs> yeah. selecting them. And like, don't get me wrong, there are other examples like Apex Legends of games that are you know hero driven uh, games, but that put the genre before the hero. Uh, in so much as Apex Legends prioritizing being a balanced first person shooter over being a hero shooter with like a huge plethora of abilities. Everything was meant to be like an accent or like a little a little sort of cherry on top. I get that, but the fundamentals of a Battle Royale first-person shooter are a lot more important than the fundamentals of some crazy drive-around dis- like destruction derby. They're not protecting like the fucking, the core, the identity of the destruction derby genre by, by making the abilities tiny little things on the side. Like two of the characters I looked at had abilities that were so similar to one another I couldn't, at this point in time, as we're recording, differentiate one from the other. They both had an ability right. that marked an opposition player, and you would get like some kind of uh, boost to your ability to hunt them down and target them specifically if you wanted to. And I, oh I, yes, I that was a weird one because when I, I think we were playing when you the first time, you were one of those characters, and I just played as him, and it was like yeah, it was like you you can aim at and lock on to another character, another car. Yeah, and I was thinking. Okay, that's quite cool. Immediately, ironically, I was thinking Soldier 76. Sure, his, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Good point. Where he can immediately lock onto people and shoot them all and he never misses. And I was thinking, okay, so I'm probably just going to hit um, accelerate and like boost and I'm going to, the, the car will steer itself and I'll be like a homing missile. That sounds cool. And I played it and it literally just puts a box around the person. And I think when you drive toward them, you just go faster and you do more damage if you hit them. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, that's but a bit crap. Not a, not not an inherently terrible idea, but not a reason to choose that character. Not a reason to get out your car and collect gems to get closer to getting your hero's car and to get that ability charged up. Just lots of ideas that just yeah. don't come together to form a game that screams out, "Hey, you know, put me, add me into your rotation as the new Rocket League, the new game you play when you've got nothing else to play." It doesn't. I, it yeah, I don't know why. It's a shame. I think before it came out and we were talking about this sort of game and I know we were saying that um, or we were talking about how I think it's more about what the game isn't offering but that players manage to discover and that's why they fall in love with these games is because they can find a way that works with them and they get really into it. And that's why I think games like Rocket League that are football with cars but you can mm-hmm. also they've got like the you know you've got a freaking jetpack and you can take off into the air and blast through the air and you can do these crazy yeah. goals you can get really, really good at that. You can. I can't. I can't see there's that there's a skill level involved in um, destruction all stars in the same way because you're so hindered by. At the end of the day, your car only goes so fast. Um, mm-hmm. You can't do 
you can't do twitchy shooting and, and do like 360 headshots like you can in a, in a first person shooter game. You can't do um, like you can with Overwatch. You can't be so good with one type of character that, you know, people play against you and they're like, geez, that per- he is too good with that character. Like, there's none of that. This at the end of the day is, oh, you tried to bash into someone and you missed because they turned left and you went right. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. No. It seems a bit weird to me. It it is. Uh, it, I hesitate to call it a, a disappointment because I think we're all only ever cautiously optimistic. Um, I'd certainly wanted it to be good, but it might just be one of those things that goes down as a, a bit of a miss, a swing and a miss. Which which will suck because, I, like you said, there's a lot to love about when you first jump into that game. It looks, um, it looks really good. And if anyone from Sony is listening, add in some racing, add in some racetracks and, and make that game more than bashy-bashy dodgems yeah. into each other in the, one the, area. The, deve- the developers of Onrush are listening to your comments right now, Jonesy, and rolling in their graves. Because um, <laughs> no one plays Do you know what it reminds game? me of? Maybe this is bad. It reminds me of Tron 2.0, which um, was a game that you had a, game modes in that where you could go around in... A, very similar in an, a futuristic area, but you know, a bit bigger, some more Tronny. But then you had to occasionally jump out of your vehicle and run around as a person to pick stuff up and collect things. Hmm. And it had the same sort of problems. It's like at the end of the day, it's too maybe it's too narrow in what it's letting you do. Maybe. And I don't, I just don't think it works in, in that, you know. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what does work though? In, in, What's in that? slightly better news. Uh, the other game, or one of the other games, I should say, that's uh, available this month on PlayStation Plus. For actually not just PlayStation 5 owners, but also PlayStation 4 excuse me, owners. Again, that you mentioned earlier, Jonesy, it's Control Ultimate Edition, which I'll concede that the, the way this came to be free and the people that might have got fucked over in the process, I think is kind of fascinating and maybe a little bit unfair, depending on whether or not people can get um, refunds. I know we have this discussion every time that, yes, it's always a risk that you can buy anything and anything could be free the day afterwards, and you just have to take that risk but something about this felt strange but i guess focusing on the game itself um i have played more of it than i thought i would i started playing it on the playstation 5 just thinking do you know what i'll get up to the point where you get the the ability to do telekinesis basically to pick objects up and hurl them and i thought i'll come on the podcast and talk about that i'm actually about halfway through the game right now i think uh maybe a third to a half i'm at the black rock quarry um, okay. Don't say that quickly. It's uh, you. You might say something you didn't mean to. Um, that's quite. That's quite far. Then uh, you've got into that. You've yeah. gone through the whole um, early stuff where Jesse's meeting loads of people and um, yeah, like I've already met uh, Pope, the kind of the the lady who you talk to in Central Executive. I've met the head of operations, um, uh, who kind of you agree to go and find the HRAs for the 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 hedronic uh, devices that are protecting people from the hiss. Um, <laughs> It's been such a, it's such a weird game. It's a weird game, but you know what? Like we're already talking. I remember, like I, this two nights ago now, booted up this game. I'm running around that starting area before you've even met Artie the janitor, and you're kind of figuring out what's going on. And I found like a protocol list of like things that aren't allowed in the Federal Bureau of Control, and it's like smartphones, weapons, laptops, and it's like number two pencils. And, and it's like <laughs> things that could represent archetypal, you know, products, e.g. rubber ducks, ketchup balls. And I'm like, do you know what? This game had some fun ideas. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. Uh, and uh, it plays well and looks good on, on PlayStation 5. So essentially what they've done, and this won't mean much to people who've played it on like PC, where it's had 
ray tracing support and so on already, uh, for a long time now. But they've got two modes. Uh, there's a graphics mode. Uh, stop me if this sounds familiar, which uh, <laughs> runs at 1440p, 30 frames a second, with ray tracing enabled. Uh, and then what I found to be the preferable mode, which was a performance mode, and also the default, 1440p, 60 frames a second, no ray tracing. Um, I just found that the 60 frames a second experience was smooth in a way that made the third 30 frames version feel... Uh, rougher than it felt on the PlayStation 4 Pro a couple of years ago. Um, and so I stuck I with can... it. That, do you know what? Because I, I often go for the graphic mode in when you've got that choice. I can imagine that I'd go for the 60 frames a second in control because of the particle effects and because yeah. of how the shooting, the running, how nice and smooth you want that to, all that exactly. to be. Uh, because um, the, the 60 frames mode on PS5 is ironically smoother, like more reliable than the 30 frames were on the PS4. Right, okay. So, you know, anyone that felt like the game was a bit rough and a bit stuttery, like, that's the way to play it now for home console owners, I guess. No, it's, it's something, a game that I uh, definitely would get back into, especially because this is the Ultimate edition, edition, and I didn't play any of the DLCs or anything like that. Me um, neither. Uh, was there, were there more than one, or was there only one? There were two. There were two. It was two. Um, there were two. Uh, yes, there were two. The, one, the, one, the second one was obviously more hyped up, because that was the one that tied into Alan Wake. Right, yes, yes. Um, but no, I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to have a crack on this. Oh my God, yeah. the dog's going crazy again. Dog, <laughs> I think, just pull up another webcam. I think we've got a, another guest on our hands if we want one. Clearly not, very opinionated when it comes to control. As I'll say to you, like, she's 13, and I'm pretty sure she's senile, and she forgets that she goes in and out. <laughs> she's now just having a massive go. She's coming. She's coming now. Are Calm we, we going to get a, a little cameo? Is that what's about to happen? She won't, she, no, she wouldn't let me do that. She gets camera shy. Yeah. I'll also warn you, you've gone a little bit blue in the process of trying to <laughs> uh, wrangle your dog. Um, Here you go. Look, this is when you need the PlayStation 5 controller because you do this. Oh, everyone, you're watching live color bouncing. That's pretty impressive. There you go. Sony um, know how to do a white controller. <laughs> That's the proof that it's yeah. white. Um, but I will say, so someone in our, in our comments of a lot of our um, podcast last week, when I said that Control had a weird retro feel to me, and, <laughs> and I don't get why, and everyone says, and, and people think I'm crazy, Jose A coming through in the comments said, I get what Jonesy means about the retro feel of Control um, between the films are shown in game and Mad Men looking offices, but the game is still great looking, which is what I said as well. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, so he, he gets what I mean, but neither of us can explain it. It's just a feel. Hey, it's like retro. I, I'm at the point now where like we've had that discussion a couple of times now over the years, and I'm more than happy. Like, who am I to tell you what a game makes you feel <laughs> at the end of the day, right? Like, that's that's Thanks, that, that's that's your, you know, you've got to speak your truth. you got to tell your story and share it with the world. Hey, a, ver- a game that I enjoyed so much from like, the feel and the style and maybe not the look as much and how some of it felt, but I love the ideas in it. So much so that it made me want to play Alan Wake. So there, you there you go. And I will say, PS5 owners, they do use that controller a little bit. Um, they do do some Astro-style pitter-patter feet action when you're running around, which is nice. And they also do some uh, trigger action uh, reminiscent of Call of Duty, but far, far, far better. Call of Duty was the kind of thing where, like, you finish that campaign and your fingers are a little bit sore. Controls, <laughs> it almost, we didn't mention it, but Destruction All-Stars, for example, has a thing where the first time you start a car, so you start a car from essentially having the engine off, there's a little click 
about halfway through the contr- uh, the right analog stick being put, uh, sorry, excuse me, the right trigger being pulled down. Um, that kind of almost signifies, hey, the uh, car's starting up, and then it's fairly smooth until you actually take some damage, and then it gets a bit wobbly. Uh, Control kind of does that, where it tries to replicate the feeling of pulling a trigger, but a much softer, more subtle way than Black Ops Cold War did it, which I appreciate. Um, okay. And I'll, I'll quickly say, because I know we've been wrapping up for ages and talking about games, but I just wanted to say the reason I played Control and Structural Stars and a, you know, a few other bits and pieces I'll talk about uh, in coming weeks is because I finally finished Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, oh, nice. It took me 77 hours. Um, <laughs> what? That is value for money. <laughs> I mean, it is va- yes, I suppose it is. I can't argue with that because I stuck with it and you asked me whether or not I enjoyed every one of those hours. I don't know what answer I'd give you. But I guess I can't argue with the value uh, uh, argument. Um, How did you... One of the issues I had with Valhalla was it felt quite janky when I started playing it. Yeah. Does that get better? That feel? Uh, You get more used to it and you get more willing (laughs) to... uh, As I'm sure like some of the cyberpunk fans will tell you, sometimes you just become more willing to overlook stuff. Sometimes weird animations or bugs or graphical glitches are no longer immersion-breaking because you're already you've already tweaked your relationship with the game as such that like that level of immersion exists on a different plane. You know, it's not something that can be disrupted by one little issue. Um, And so you definitely get there, but there's also a bit of Stockholm syndrome with that. And I think anyone will experience that over the course of 80 hours with a game where you look, you know, you look at if you were to plot out a graph of my enjoyment over time, it would be very strange. And there would be, you know, (laughs) my first week or so wasn't that positive and I didn't like the combat. But then I started to get into a few of the side stories and I thought, okay. But then around the 40, 50 hour mark, I started to say, why is this still going? And then I started, it really dragged. But then, of course, at the end, they have the benefit of being able to wrap up lots of storylines and arcs and have resolutions for lots of characters and other little bits and pieces that obviously you get some kind of a boost out of. And uh, yeah. let's also say, after I, throw, I said it in the Discord, so I might as well say it here. They do some shit in this game. Um, when it comes to the world beyond the animus let's just say um right and anyone who thought that games like black flag or syndicate or unity were examples of ubisoft and the assassin's creed team having left behind the isu and the 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 arc of desmond miles and (laughs) all that you know original trilogy god shit rest assured there are some people in that assassin's creed team who still very much like those stories uh, and that's all I'll say. I, part of me's glad to hear that. I think like you I, don't. You don't know what I've seen. You don't know what I've no, seen. No, that's very true. That's very. I will true. tell um, you afterwards if you want to know. But <laughs> no, don't. I don't want to know because I've I put Assass- I put Valhalla on the back burner because I I had so much other stuff to play right. that I've I actually stopped actually, playing it. I re- if I remember rightly, you did. You had ended up in a situation where you had Watch Dogs and AC at the same time. But I think you'd started Watch Dogs before because it came out first and stuck with that yes. one instead. At the time. Yeah, I've nearly finished. I've nearly finished Watch Dogs. I'm mm. just looking for some time to finish it up, really. Um, and then I, I decided Valhalla was going to. I was going to stop because uh, Cyberpunk was coming out, and I knew that if I started to play it, I wouldn't then I finish Cyberpunk, it. I would just yeah. stop. Um, so, but then Cyberpunk, because of Cyberpunk, God. I put that on a back burner because I was like, I don't want to play it until um, probably post February patch. Yeah. Um, which hopefully we might not be too far away from. It is February. Uh, it is February. Um, yeah, so I've got I've got quite a few at the moment that are uh, sort of 
on the burn. <laughs> I got who is it? Is it, I think it's Amy who calls me out saying that I said I'm going to finish um, Bioshock, <laughs> isn't it? Bi- that's, Bioshock. What they, that's what people get hung up on. The funny Bioshock. thing is, there's so many oh, of these games that like yeah. it's the classic thing. We've all had it before, where you're probably only one proper pl- uh, sitting away from finishing some of these games. Like if you blocked out yeah. an afternoon and evening and said to the wife or whoever you have in your life, "Hey, just." Fucking don't talk to me. I'm just getting some shit done over here. You probably plow through this stuff, but sometimes that's those the, you know, the amount of time is easy to come by. Sometimes it's harder to come by. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Like I, I didn't even bother mentioning it, but I'll throw it out there. Like I, I started and finished Man Eater uh, in the past week. I wasn't going to bring it up because oh really? Oh yeah, I wasn't going to bring it up because you know we talked about it before. And I didn't have much to say to add to that conversation. But like I had a good week for gaming time. Finished Assassin's Creed. All of Man Eater, half of Control, blah 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 blah. But like next week, it might be shit. Yeah, I think in uh, so you've done that this week. I think this week I played three hours of Destruction All Stars. Yes, yeah, like that's <laughs> the way it goes. It. That's how it goes. Um. Yeah. Anyway, shall we? Uh, shall we crack on with some news then? Yes, let's. As we do enter it. Uh, soon to enter the the second hour <laughs> of this podcast. Um, Jeez. I'll be honest, Jonesy. On the forefront, there, there is some. There is. It is gaming at its core. But uh, there's some almost slightly corporate news at the forefront of the week um, uh, as it revolves around some of the uh, the biggest companies on planet Earth, to put it simply. Yeah. Um, and we start with one of those companies and uh, a product that has generated a lot of discussion, certainly between you, I, and Chris, uh, over the years? Must be years by now, yeah. It's got to um, be, yeah. Talking about Google Stadia, who this week decided to wind down their SG&E department, which stands for Stadia Games and Entertainment, which essentially, in layman's terms, means the two game studios they had making games, in theory, exclusively for Google Stadia, got shut down. Um, they uh, the, the report came out of, I think it was Kotaku, uh, Stephen Totillo at the time, he basically said, hey, I'm, uh, excuse me, Google are going to make a statement later today confirming this. They did exactly that. Um, there were probably some some projects in development at the time that are going to be cancelled. It seems like essentially anything that isn't going to come out like almost pretty immediately within, and within 2021 is just going to get cancelled. Um, and they are completely out of the game-making business. And instead now, some of the head honchos at Google Stadia are pivoting away from that and trying to essentially make more direct partnerships with publishers, uh, which uh, may well lead to sort of exclusive deals. They haven't cancelled that out, but certainly the game-making side of this is done. And as if to put the cherry on top, Jonesy, Jade Raymond, uh, one of the more known, I guess, sort of figures in game development over the last couple of decades, predominantly for her role in the creation of Assassin's Creed over at Ubisoft. She was there, she was heading up one of these studios going to be making big, bold, quadruple-A, you know, big-budget games of the future exclusively for Google Stadia. She has, uh, unsurprisingly, moved on. Uh, I guess the question remains now, Jonesy, obviously. First of all, are you at all surprised that Google is no longer going to be making any games at all, not not even for their own consoles, let alone anyone else's? And how important is this to the bigger picture at Stadia? I think this is probably the right move for them. Um, if you think about, if if I try and think about, for example, um, corollaries when it comes to, I, I know Stadia is not exactly like a, a Netflix for games kind of thing, but that was obviously what I think where they would like to be thought of as well. Mm. And if imagine that you 
Imagine that you were talking about Google Stadia and exclusive games being a draw for people, and that's why they've got these two uh, development studios to make games specifically for Stadia to bring you in. That would kind of be like saying that those awful Netflix movies and TV shows existed to bring people to Netflix, when I don't think that's why they're there. Like, if anything, I think the way that Netflix works... Um, I mean, to be fair, Netflix have gotten much better. <laughs> but I was just—I was going to say the opposite. Like people, they've gotten, they've people don't sign better. up. I think nowadays more people sign up to Netflix because there's some you have to watch sort of Stranger Things style, like Queen's Gambit. Everyone's tuning in. Yeah, they. <laughs> I then thought about. I was like, they've got. I don't, better, I don't think there are many people in 2021 that are going. Yeah, I just want to watch every single episode of The American Office all over again. Although some people, but I think that's like where. That. I think. I think the. The getting on board because for me, like even net, even those things on Netflix, like I like Queen's Queen's Gambit, you know, I like Summer Stranger Things. I don't think people are going to sign up to Netflix necessarily for those things. They're the good things that keep you there. But if you think of like Sony first party titles, in my mind, they can bring people to the platform. Xbox first person or you know like Halo things, Microsoft first party yes. titles can bring people to the platform. For me, Stadia making their own first party content or Google, sorry, making it for Stadia seems kind of odd. If in my mind, it makes much more sense to use their clout and their money to get exclusives from already existing studios, which is, I think, makes much more sense. Like if they, as we've just said now, if they spend their time and their money getting exclusivity, surely that makes more sense. Why would why would Stadia being a streaming service though make a difference to the appeal of exclusive content compared to someone like Sony? Because I think the difference is um, is that I think. S- we already think of Sony and um, Microsoft as being established brands, whereas Stadia is not. And I think that over time they've built almost like the knowledge, the know-how, the right to work in that way. And then they've made because I don't, I don't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I never remember when I was a kid and I used to play like PlayStation One games. I never think of. Um, I can't think of any um, very early days Sony titles that I was like, it's all about the exclusives. It's all about the exclusives. I could mm. maybe I'm wrong, and I just can't remember. Uh, I mean, but. The, the, were there the word was it like that at the I mean, beginning i mean yeah it was but they they had you know the, there was whether it's from like the mascot games like crash bandicoot and spyro to you know the like games like i don't know metal gear solid and twisted metal and tony Tekken. like the, a lot then, of those games were i don't know if people thought of them as exclusives but but then, but I, then I also I but with... I, I will, sorry i will also say that that was a very different market at the time where there was, I think there was a lot more diversity between the approaches Sony, Sega, and Nintendo took in the 90s than Sony and Microsoft yeah. take in the 2010s. They are a lot more aligned than... And that's why, for example, Nintendo is still a... No one cares that God of War's not... Like, Nintendo don't have a God of War. Nintendo don't need a fucking God of War. Like, so no. that's why the 90s was different. But then fuck like sp- Sega, I don't know what they were doing. Sega had their own shit. <laughs> Virtual Cop, I, I just, don't know. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like to me that before you can jump in and make your own games... And create your own studios. You need to get a grounding in. You need to in, you need in, to make sure you've got the audience, and you need to okay. make sure you can you can do it. And it feels like that's what Sony and Microsoft did. It doesn't feel like they immediately went and went. We're going to make games like you've never seen before, and you have to play them on our system. I don't like. You said Crash Bandicoot, Spyro. They were like they were like filler. Really, they became big after they came out. They weren't pushed as. Look at these must-have titles. I, I, like Crash Bandicoot, I, I remember getting a game that you just got. It was almost like knack, like you got it when you got the system. Well, that's I, how it I, seemed. I think that's probably more to do with, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's they, probably more to Metal do with Solid, your age, Kojima your age, Metal- and your interpretation of the market. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, very possible. Like I know that Metal Gear Solid was not thought of as, as it wasn't going to be a big game. It was going to be like I think Kojima even said that they were blown away by how well Metal Gear Solid did. Um, they never thought it was going to be that. They thought it was going to be like a mediocre title. Um, so just see yeah. what I mean. It wasn't, I, but it seems like to put the amount of money that that Google must have put into these studios and to go, we're going to make first party titles. I don't know. That to me seems like a bit of a weird thing to do. I kind of, I kind of disagree. I, I, I okay. actually, I for some reason, I have a different interpretation of it. Where I look at the Netflix model as exactly what Google would have wanted to do with Stadia, rightly or wrongly, and. I think the idea that like a but Jade... Netflix makes so much crap. Yeah, but they we, make but so we don't, we don't talk about the, about the crap. We still mention things like Stranger Things and Making Murderer, despite the fact that they were the reasons we were subscribing to that uh, platform, that service. You know, fucking five years ago at this point. There's always the and they're doing it now with like the they're doing it with movies. They're doing it with t- like if I, I if I I don't know if, am I going to see if I'm logged in? But if I open up Netflix right now and I am logged in. I'm, I'm immediately now. I look at like what's trending. The top thing on my trending thing is Night Stalker. That is a thing that in the last like a week, like a handful of people is have uh, have talked. To, it's some like true crime series. And then I'm looking at like Netflix originals. The Last Dance was a thing a lot of people talked about last year. The Queen's Gambit, Narcos. That uh, was very good. That was very Lu- Lupin, Lupin, Cobra Kai, The Crown, Bridgerton. The Defiant Ones, Ozark, Money Heist, Afterlife, Better Call Saul, uh, uh, Tiger King, Top Boy. Like, I feel like scrolling through Netflix originals is like scrolling through the most talked about television of the last couple of years. But that's, to me, that almost feels like because everyone has Netflix. But why does everyone have Netflix? Because they started doing this at some point. Because they had friends. So you're saying Google Stadia needed the friends before the, uh, before the... Yes. The, the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, they did. Like, be, because the amount, of, the amount of rubbish Netflix used to make that everyone used to laugh at and say how pants that it was, all the films they used to do and everything, and were like, oh, this is awful. The re, the, when they tried to do like Arrested Development, when they tried to take on like, other they series. They did a thing, they, a, mass, a really big budget Genghis Khan series, I think, that flopped, if I remember right, rightly. Right, But they, they, they did a lot of really bad... And some very good, but they did a lot of really bad stuff. And if you try and if I tried to think about why that was, it would probably be because they weren't a production house originally, and they but they made their name by being really good at getting people to watch their platform, and then they got good at making uh, uh, um, licensing and and paying for big productions. Yeah. What they didn't they didn't immediately. Well, someone will probably come on, or you, maybe you'll go. That's exactly what they did. They did. It's not like they immediately went out there, hired a load of really high end people threw loads and loads of money at it when no one had Netflix and then tried to make these epic shows and epic TV shows. Like it just seems that to me seems a little I think it's fair that there was more growth to it, that like there was more of a growth time than that. And there were certainly periods where like the the term Netflix original didn't mean anywhere near as much as it does now. Um I guess Stadia had a really choppy launch and then they've then trying to make these amazing futuristic that cost so much money to make big games these days. Like, I suppose that's I the know. issue, right, is that Stadia was, has been on the market for years and hasn't produced anything of any size that has made an impact. Like, for me, for me, right, imagine if they just, if they signed up um, uh, God of War, like, or that scale of game. I don't mean God of War, I mean, like, a, a God of War or a uh, Horizon. Yeah. And they knew that, um, especially if there was a sequel to a to a big series coming out, and they went in and went, we will pay you, we want one year's exclusivity 
um, we want your game on our platform and that's going to be the only place anyone can play it for a year. That would make more sense, I think, for a while and then move on to trying to make their own stuff. Mm. Which, but I don't, I don't think they've done that right. They haven't got any like amazing no, exclusivity deals. They haven't. People, I, 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 can't, so I can't think of a single game that was considered something that people should be playing or you should want to play that was exclusive to Stadia. And ironically, like you're talking about, like taking games off people's hands. Like going back to Netflix, that's been one of the interesting things about the release of films in the uh, while everyone's quarantining and you know most of the world's on lockdown is. I remember there have been some great stories about around things like that Godzilla versus Kong movie or James Bond, right. where like Netflix have come up to them, being like, "Hey, you can't put that film out in cinemas right now. We'll give you two hundred million dollars, and you give us our you give us the film." And like, yeah, those those that's why the more stuff like that will start to happen is because they've got that kind of money, and that's that's a further way of. Uh, brands like Netflix establishing themselves with more and more people is like, oh, this is now the home of sequels to some of the biggest films I've ever heard. Like, imagine if something like that had happened. Like, hey, the new Godzilla film is just on Netflix. There have been equivalents to that. Like, hey, the new Martin Scorsese film is just on Netflix, but it's only going to get bigger. And But Stadium never started doing the baby steps, I guess, right? Like, okay, here, as an example, as an example, imagine if Grand Theft Auto 6 was a stadia exclusive yeah now like the yeah. end of conversation yeah you have is, to have a sta- is, you have to have a stadia account. literally end of conversation and i suppose going full circle that is not a door they're closing at this stage like the wording no, around no, this no. implies that they will still consider things like that if it's in the interest of their business but i guess like and don't so get me wrong in, yeah what's gonna say so for, to my mind like Get the exclusives, get those those year long exclusivity deals, get some really big names on the platform, um, be the place you have to go to play that game. You will get some people in, and then once you've started to do that, you can then start to push out. I would then think you'd push out some smaller, like not triple A games, but some smaller games from your own studios. Mm-hmm. You start to, and then people will start to fall in love with your brand, your style. You'll start to build up something a little bit special. Um, and then you can go for the epic game. Like, seem, it always seems odd to me to go, "Hey, we're going to hire some really high level, high profile people. We're going to make a team around them, yeah. and then we're going to make games." Because you're like, "That's I don't know. That seems destined to failure for me. Like, it doesn't seem that's how things work." But it's, it's actually it's ironic that you uh, you mention uh, kind of going that way around it because uh, as uh, we uh, talk through this, I'm actually reminded of another company that went about this thing in exactly the way that you were talking about, um, which is Epic Games. Epic Games, of course, now theirs was slightly different because theirs was a storefront rather than a paid service. But what did they do? They came into the the storefront game. They said, hey, we're going to rival Steam. The way we're going to do it is we're going to approach massive AAA games from known series, and we're going to pay for exclusivity. We're going to make sure if you want to play Borderlands 3, you have to play it on the Epic Games store and so on and so forth. Piss people off in the process, but they're not going to have a choice because people like playing games. We're also going to uh, put money into uh, the exclusivity and nurturing of some smaller games. Hades was, of course, um, an uh, an Epic Games exclusive for a long time before it went 1.0 and came out. What happened uh, last year in a news story that kind of got swept under the rug because the world got set on fire immediately afterwards? Epic Games went out and uh, announced publishing partnerships with Playdead, the people who made uh, Limbo and uh, and uh, what was it called? Uh, Inside and uh, Remedy, right, yeah. who made fucking you know controls. We just talked about Alan Wake. 
So they did go about it that way. They increased their presence by signing the deals and saying to people, hey, you have to come here to play the game you like. And then they went about creating those relationships, admittedly with already established studios rather than their own studios, but still another example of how Google could have come at this from another angle, maybe. Yeah, I mean, and and being from creative industry, like as we know, and I, I'm, some people out there may not, like often what does happen in creative industries where you have teams of creators working together, and I, I have no idea if this is what they were going for with Google. I, I don't think it would have been, but may, maybe I'm wrong. In that you do sometimes find entire teams of people who work together just being transplanted from one dev, one producer, one, in our, in our case, like editing, one studio um, just effectively gets dissolved they all get bought by another company and then they become a new thing and the reason it works is because those people work together they can produce stuff and they just do it and i think that often happens with um development as well in video games is because you effectively have a team transplanted mm-hmm. from one place to another and you can effectively have you know the, they already work together that system already works they can already produce stuff but when you try and go um from just creating something from scratch i think it's hmm. you're gonna have more problems right you're gonna have it's gonna be more difficult and as yeah. we can see from all the thing even look at like cyberpunk obviously was made by um cd project uh cd project red who leveled up their production and hired more people and maybe that was part of the problem is that they expanded maybe, too quickly maybe look at something like cloud Empyrean games who are like we're gonna build this the most amazing uh most expensive get um crowdfunded game ever in the entire world and they've hired loads of people and have had loads of problems with production, which is why, you know, years down the line, we still don't have anything to show. And True. they've got roadmaps which don't work. And again, is it because they try and they try and put the cart before the horse? And, and those but, production problems you mentioned are a perfectly reasonable thing to pin this news on. Because, of course, while two game studios have closed down today and 150 people are losing or changing their jobs, we don't know what these people were working on. And the chances are, like, more often than not, when games like these are developed for a certain amount of time uh, behind closed doors and are cancelled before we ever see them, it's because, like, as you mentioned, whether it's, you know, Cloud Imperium or, or CD Projekt Red, there are significant problems in the development of those games. And whether it's in the ideas phase or the development phase or whatever it is, but they never get to the stage where, in this case, Google even thought we were worthy of seeing them or knowing about them or giving them a name. Yeah. Um, and, I think uh, it's yeah. they, and that's because they bleed money right it's because you get to a point where you say wow in order to get this finished we are going to hemorrhage yeah. money and is it really worth it and to be fair to them maybe they've made the right decision by going by cutting it off this early because a lot of places don't they just they yeah. try and fix it and- <laughs> it's funny we are actually about to discuss another place that is uh <laughs> happy to continue hemorrhaging money in the in the pursuit of getting it right eventually but before we move on uh We've had doom and doom and gloom discussions around Stadia before. We've even had pin the tail on the donkey style discussions around when Stadia is going to uh, cease to exist. Obviously, this is another like sort of little uh, bullet point in the the long history of this service and this product and Google's effort in video games. Uh, but I guess to to form, put it in the form of a question: Does this or does this not affect your long term outlook on the success of Stadia? And are you willing to put a date on, if you think there is one, on when Stadia might uh, put out a similar press release, but about gaming in general? I don't think they will. Like, I don't, you this think is they're the going to just go on? I think they will, because the weird thing with cloud gaming is it's not like you have to say, 
we're withdrawing support for X hardware or with, withdrawing support for X software. Like you own all of it, right? So people, if they can just go to a browser and find it and Google it with so much money, they can reinvent uh, and and edit that pay structure and that game structure. They could actually get onto a, they could they could come up with a system that really works for them. And I don't, and I think that they can tweak around that. I mean, it might disappear. It might effectively evaporate to barely anything and then come back. Because I was going to say, Google's, you know, infinite pools of money has never stopped them shutting down services before. They love to do it. Yes, but I I think the difference is, um, what this is me saying that I have a real belief in cloud gaming in general. Like, and I think that they, I think that they will know that that is the future. And, I mean, although so two things I could see, or three things I could see happening. Stadia um, goes away and comes back in different forms, and um, they just keep those sort of diehard Stadia fans. Just got kind of, I don't even know why, but let's say they just keep the Stadia name, they keep it going, and eventually they hit on the right formula, um, and then Stadia takes off, or Stadia, or they they do give up on it and they say, do you know what? There's no point sticking in this. We we can't make the numbers work and they get rid of it. Or maybe it goes away um, in some form and then just comes back under a different name in a different format maybe. with a different formula. I, I can't, I mean, yeah, they, they might just decide, like you said, it's not worth it. But I think there's a futures in cloud gaming and I think Google are very well placed to be one of those people. But but we yeah. said this wasn't it. We said Stadia wasn't it. We said the the model was terrible. Yes, it is. And because it's it's Steam where you can't download the games. Yeah, and then maybe that's why the point you just made that they don't get out of the game entirely, so to speak. They just kind of like change the name and sort of bide their time until the point where having all this tech and this server capability and so on and so forth does serve them well, but maybe it's it packaged differently. I don't know. And what's what sucks is like imagine if you imagine I can't imagine there are that many, but the people that bought like I don't know, Cyberpunk, the people that bought Phoenix Rising, the people that bought um, Valhalla, whatever, on Stadia. Mm. Let's say six months down the line, Google say, do you know what? It's not worth it. We'll pull the plug. All those people lose those games. They do. They do, yeah. You, yeah. you can't play those games anymore. You're stitched up. I think that, that would be that would really suck. That would absolutely um, suck. And the longer it goes on and the more successful it is in the interim, the more people are going to buy games through that service yeah. and are going to lose access to them. So uh, do you know what? I really hope that they don't pull the plug on it. Um <sighs> Anytime soon. I hope for the sake of the people who invested in that ecosystem that they don't. But um, I just think that I just think that cloud gaming has a long way to go before you know there's widespread uptake of it uh, in the markets we're talking about. And yeah. I I remain skeptical over whether or not a company like Google has the patience for it. I want to say, wasn't it like twenty? Wasn't twenty twenty one one of the first years when we originally started talking about it back in the day that I said cloud gaming will overtake console gaming? Yeah, I think maybe twenty twenty one would have been. And I think now, if if you ask me now, when I would say it's going to overtake console gaming, I'm like maybe seven or eight, nine, <laughs> ten years away. Yeah, it seems to be getting further away, not closer. So, well, yeah, again, like the more high company, uh, sorry, excuse me, high profile companies enter the scene and struggle to have their way with it the the more uh grim the the outlook uh, becomes for cloud gaming uh but one other major corporation in fact that does have a finger in the cloud gaming pie is uh, amazon uh amazon yes. of course have a service called luna i believe it's called that is still in invitation only mode so you know us regular plebs have yet to get our hands on it to see what it's all about but of course uh amazon kind of like google prior to this week at least 
don't just uh, have uh, investments in cloud gaming and a cloud gaming service, but also have uh, investments made into traditional uh, gaming ventures in their own studios and trying to make their own games that may in the future appear on their own platforms or at the moment uh, as are coming out on PC. And unlike Google, Amazon have actually released some games. People might remember the short-lived Crucible that uh, released, I think, at some point last year, uh, maybe early-ish last year, was kind of a bit of a disaster. They then kind of unreleased it and then rolled it back into beta and then eventually cancelled it altogether. And then there was the other game, I believe it's called New World, um, that was a sort of an MMO of sorts. Uh, shout out to Steph and the TechnoOvo team. I remember they actually streamed that game. Um, I don't know if those VODs are still up, but um, I remember watching some of that stream. I raided him for one of those streams, actually, now that I remember. And I thought that looked weird, but uh, not entirely unsuccessful from what I gather. I know a couple of people who played it. Anyway, getting onto the news itself, uh, essentially, uh, there was a very strange occurrence this week where Bloomberg uh, published an article written by Jason Schreier and Priya Anand, uh, essentially covering Amazon's sketchy, at best, history with game development, to use their wording from the headline itself, Amazon can make just about anything except a good video game. They kind of looked into the long and storied uh, history of Amazon's uh, time in video games at the moment. Uh, for anyone wondering, Amazon have actually been in the video game business since uh, as way as far back as 2014. Uh, one of the names that's thrown around quite a lot when it comes to Amazon Game Studios is the boss Mike Frazzini, who has been at Amazon you know, for essentially all its lifetime now. Uh, he's been pointed to as one of the reasons why this stuff hasn't always worked. Uh, there's uh, some qu quotes from that article that describe how Frazzini talks to the employees of Amazon Game Studios and says he wants billion-dollar franchises, quote, the size of Call of Duty. Um, despite that uh, that ambition, though most, if not all of their, pretty much all of their attempts to make core games since 2014 have been cancelled, as I said, apart from New World, which has so far made it. Uh, there's a really kind of funny in a dark way, not funny in an actual way, story about Frazzini where uh, after the cance cancellation of that game I mentioned Crucible, an outgoing employee w went back into the Seattle office to collect some of their belongings only to find the message, Fraz is cancer, written on the whiteboard. So clearly not a popular member um, <laughs> amongst the employees of Amazon Game Studios. Um, but then a fascinating thing happened. Bloomberg published this article. The next day, Jeff Bezos stepped down as CEO of Amazon and was replaced by Andy Jassy. Uh, and one of Andy Jassy's first moves as CEO of Amazon, ironically, was to send around an email to the Amazon Game Studio staff to reaffirm his commitment to video games. He actually referred to Jason Schreier's article directly, referring to it as nasty and exaggerated. Um, and it suggested that Amazon, under his leadership, would still be very much invested in their video gaming future, which, for anyone wondering, currently costs them $500 million per year, and that excludes any kind of Twitch uh, sort of uh, integration or any Twitch-related expenditure. That's just $500 million a year on video game-related pursuits that so far have yet to bear fruit. Um, kind of fascinating, I, I guess, to see the new CEO of Amazon, the new Jeff Bezos, send an email to his staff about a Jason Schreier article. Right, like yeah, but we we were saying before the pod that if anything, in my mind, that bodes really well for um. You'd hope so. Uh, you hope so because it says they're not just trying to. So, for example, the first quote that you said about from um 
from the Fraz, um, <laughs> where you said that they want to make billion dollar franchises the size of Call of Duty. That to me says um, that they don't know what they're talking. That sort of, I mean, it's just a quote, it's one quote, but that is the sort of quote which is kind of worrying because it suggests that you've seen the results. You say, what's the biggest game franchise? Call of Duty. Right. We're going to make that. Yep. And that's always a ridiculously dumb thing to say in any uh, creative endeavor because you can't just be them. They are them because of years and years of graft, slog, fans, um, like, you know, development, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You cannot to get just to do that it. point, right? And, and massive growth. Look at like Rockstar Games, right? You can't just say, hey, we'll just be them. Like, you can't just be these people. Um, and it doesn't really make any sense. But to me, to, to be aggrieved as well by a Drake, Jason Schreier article in Bloomberg, you need to be listening to people like Jason Schreier if you want to do gaming, if you want to know what's going on in the industry, if you want to have a bit of a finger on the pulse, because then it means you might read people who say, do you know what the way not to do it is to just spend half a billion a year um, and just throw money at stuff and hope it works. That's not the way to do it. Like You've got to be smarter about these things. As we've said with Google, they weren't very smart in the beginning, but maybe with this new CEO, what's his name? Jazzy. Jassy, yeah, something like that. Jassy. Maybe he's a little bit more switched on, a bit more finger on the pulse, and he'll actually start to do, um, he'll start to, you know, use the money more wisely or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. But I don't know. We can, we can, but hope. When do you call it a day? When you spent seven years (laughs) trying to, spending hundreds of millions of dollars trying to make video games and this MMO that I'm, had you heard of New World? I hadn't heard of New World. When that's the only output after all that time and all that money. Like, I get that it's cool that Andy Jassy might, you know, pledge his allegiance to the flag of video games, but is he? Is it dumb? Like, is it even worth? Like, is it as is it actually a bad business decision? I know it's a hard you, one to predict, but I th- see. I always think the problem with gaming and a lot of these people, business people, as we've talked about both these stories, the Google one and this one, are business stories effectively, but game adjacent is gaming every year the the amount of money in that market just goes up and up and up true and they must look at that and go what like because they love to draw graphs of these people they'll literally go look there's the graph and they're going to go well in in 2030 this industry is going to be bigger than movies television like uh every kind of other pursuit you can do outside of the house put together like we need to be in that in that world we need to be involved in that we have to pump money in to do it so i don't think they can come out of it okay i think coming out of it would make would be insane to them because they're like it's going to be huge we can't get out of it but at the same time you're right it's madness to just be doing it for such a long time and to be able to say you've but done barely anything yeah at some point like you have to also look at the hierarchy like i'm not going to jump on the bandwagon when it comes to blaming this mike frazzini guy but you've got to presume that with the money and sway amazon have they know how to hire talented people. They know how to hire people that can do a good job. At some point, when teams that big with those kind of budgets can't produce the goods, there's some something significantly wrong, like within the hierarchy. And you tend to look higher rather than lower with that stuff, don't you? Like, I'm surprised that yeah, this isn't I'd... coming alongside the news that hey, Jassy sees as a future in games for Amazon. He's also shaking up the entire division and like hiring all kinds of new people or firing all kinds of people. I could be I mean fair enough if people think I've gone crazy but I think there's a real problem in industry in like this sorts of industry anyway from my limited experience of how like businesses and stuff operate in that they put far too much stock in just hiring the right people at the top 
Right. I've been in too many companies where they go, if we just hire this really expensive person, then everything will be fixed. I've been in companies where they do that, and you know that is the death knell for that bit of that industry because they're going to spend 250 grand a year on someone who's really good at what they do. And you're like, yeah, I'm sure they are, but you're pretty sure that that the real problem in what you, in your area and that business isn't that they just needed someone more expensive. And so I think that you've got a it's like a grassroots thing in my mind. You've got to do you've got to build stuff in order to get there. You can't just hire expensive people. Um which is why again like I think it's kind of a weird way to do it to just go pump money, pump money, build whatever. For for Amazon or Google or whoever. This is the other thing I find odd. Why don't they just be EA? Just go and buy successful smaller studios and just like, mm. you know, run them from on high. Yeah. Wouldn't that make more sense for some of them rather than trying to I think so. I, I, I wonder, and again, I'm never going to know this firsthand, obviously, but I sometimes look at the situation and the arguably comparable situation between something like Amazon and, and Google and wonder, like, is game development as, like, and as, as, as a, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but is game development an environment that's not suited to blank canvas, big budget thinking? Like, it's probably worse, actually, it's probably worse, right? Yeah. Like when you when imagine you, if you like, gave us like here you go here you go mate imagine if you gave us right now someone signed up to the Patreon who was a billionaire and Jeff Bezos right he's got nothing to do now and he suddenly gave us a hundred million dollars to spend in and he's like we're gonna make Super Show amazing here's a hundred million dollars I can guarantee that in year one we'll probably waste like more money than we've ever seen because we'll go we're gonna do this and we'll just go crazy and it'll be ludicrous yeah. And we'll come out of some some content that no one wants. We but we can make it because we've got the money, and it would just be like you said, big blank canvas thinking, and it's probably a bad way to do it. Because yeah, like who wants to be in that meeting? Like, uh, uh, go, like bring it back to the meetings they probably had, like where you you might you get an email from Mike Frazzini says come to meeting room two. You sit down at this big table. There's thirty people there. He goes right, guys. Got a got a few. Uh, we got a nine figure budget. Um, anyone got any ideas for a game? You're just sitting there going like, what if we made a game like Call of Duty? What if we made a game like GTA? That's probably what the people in those fucking meetings say. And like, yeah, that's not conducive to the production of a video game at some point. Like, I, No, I laugh because we've been in meetings where people yeah. have said, I know people have said to us, have you seen this? We'll just do that. And we're like, that's impossible. You know that before All Time Gaming was a thing, we sat in meetings with too many people that and many of them who who didn't really know the environment or the landscape and said let's make a gaming channel and you sit there and you think to yourself what does that even mean in this day and age what, let's make a gaming channel there's so many things that, that there's so many directions that could possibly take and half of you don't know what those directions are because you said let's make yeah. let's make IGN let's make let's make the new IGN and then someone else will say let's make the new game grumps and someone else will say let's make the new Linus tech tips and it's like you none of you really know what you want. Like, just weird about these the big company thing to me as well is like if if I was Amazon and I had a and I was willing to put that much money in, I think I would still start smaller and I would say right, I don't want to build a game, I want to build a new IP, and I'd start off with the first game and I'd almost have the first game. I'd try and make it really well. I'd try and make it to a very high like level of quality and in a genre that we want to do, but I wouldn't spend a ludicrous amount of money. And I'd let the market, I'd let the gamers tell me what was wrong with it. And then I'd make the sequel. The plan always being that until we get to game three, four, 
we're we're probably not going to get it right and i'd because you know you've got time you know you've got money and if you re- and if you're even at that level right let's say you spent i don't know 20 million 50 million and two years as opposed to seven years and 500 million a year like surely that would give you a better way of of figuring out just what i'm saying don't just because you've got the money don't spend it right like yes, um, yeah absolutely be more considered in your approach yeah it's also fascinating like things like this happening alongside the recent sort of like post on metric history of a company like uh, Microsoft and the Xbox division specifically where they ended up in that situation didn't they where they had this sort of like gears of war forza and uh, uh, you know kind of rut and halo of course in there in the yeah. mix as well where the fact that those three games were the only ones that would reliably deliver was a bit of a meme and any other sort of risk they took up, took over the top of that whether it was Crackdown or Scalebound or Quantum Break and and Sunset Overdrive and a lot of those games you remember as the early examples of Xbox One at the time exclusives um, and how so many of them flopped and almost destroyed that side of the Xbox's market single-handedly. Now their approach is so much more varied and like they are acquiring studios, they're spending the kind of money, uh, with the exception of perhaps of the Bethesda deal, the to what uh, Amazon uh, comparable amounts to what Amazon is spending on failed video game projects, except they're spending it on studios, studios that already have IP, IP that they're taking with them and coming under their Microsoft umbrella, you know, projects that are already in the development in development that Microsoft can put on their services like Game Pass. And they're also still funding their own shit. They're also still, still making, you know, studios like like the initiative and they're saying, hey, here's Perfect Dark. Go and do something with it. Why have they got Perfect Dark? Because they already did the, all the shit with Rare, you know? What are Rare doing now? They right. did Sea of Thieves. It didn't work out, but they put more time into And now we'll see if Rare can go on to do other little things along the way. And I don't know, like... That, to me, makes so much more sense to, to work yeah. like that rather than... I mean, maybe we're wrong. Maybe behind the scenes they are trying to do this stuff and, and what we've seen is, is you know, just the news stories about, oh, they've spent this much money in it and they've nothing to show for it. Like, But it does seem like they're just throwing expensive people and a lot of money... And just trying to force well, make Call of Duty. But. If you, if you if you take these numbers at face value, like the fact that we know for fact they have been working on uh, core video games for seven years, and we know that the n- amount of money they've spent on those ventures is in the hundreds of millions of dollars at this stage. I mean, that much yeah. seems uh, unquestionable. Um, and, and and again, if the, sometimes I'm remind. I feel as though I don't know if you agree, but the fact that the new CEO had to send that email suggests like if that email was something that if that article excuse me was something that most employees could just laugh at and ignore they would have laughed at and ignore it ignored it when the ceo steps in and says hey the things in this uh report are nasty and exaggerated to your own employees you're almost having to reassure them like hey don't listen to what the outside world says we are doing the right thing which implies there might be room for doubt in the minds of people there to begin with um and right. uh, and I think that that that's what, in some respects, almost validates the original article for me. For as much as the CEO kind of threw threw it into question, I, I, it's got to be worrying, I suppose, if that comes out and you see something like that, um, and you work for Amazon, and then you worry that that might be true. Because then, of course, it's like, oh, it's got, it, it doesn't make you feel good about somewhere you work at, even if you're not related to gaming or in in general. Mm. I wonder if that's why he felt he had to do it because they are focused on it and because they really want to make it work, I suppose to read an article that says they are completely screwing the pooch must make you think, yeah. what else are they messing up? <laughs> what else are they getting wrong? Yeah. Um, Why did Jeff just leave? <laughs> is, uh, Jeff like, left Amazon because the new world sucked. 
Um, Jeez, I, I, let's keep the, uh, the, the, the trajectory going of ending each segment with a question. Will Amazon release a high-profile AAA video game inside the next five years? See, that's a hard one, because I would say that's not what they need to do, but do you know what? I say yes, because even if they buy another studio that releases a higher AAA game, then that would still be them releasing it. So yeah, I'll say yes. Okay. Um, I don't think it will be from... I don't think it should be from one of their developments. I think it prob- might be. They might release something and say, here, we've Sounds made this. Like it, doesn't it, doesn't it? Great. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. Um, anyway, let's go on to a uh, uh, some more actual gaming product-related uh, news. Uh, and we start with uh, some news that came out uh, in and around a bunch of other EA announcements. They had a, uh, what you call it, like an earnings call this week. But um, timed alongside that earnings call was a big old dump of information about the upcoming Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which is the packaged together remasters of the original trilogy and a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's a release date now. We know that that's coming in May 14th, which seems like it could be a Can't good time. Can't come soon enough. Do you reckon, like, early summer? Like, get in there just before... I that, like it. ...that lull? Yeah, I agree. I like it. I, as well, it could be a... Uh, hopefully, you know, the world is feeling a little... Well, I don't know. It could be completely Actually, wrong. God. Hopefully the world is feeling a bit more relaxed and stuff's starting to get better and... Then Mass Effect comes out and we can enjoy summer with some <laughs> great But wouldn't that be fascinating timing, though, if this game came out and the world was like, actually, we're allowed outside now, so we're just not going to play this video <laughs> game? But the, one of the beauties of like a remaster, a re-releasing of a remastered trilogy is, is I don't think it's a game you feel you have to play immediately anyway. Yes, You true. can give it some time to breathe, but you'll probably buy it pretty quickly because you just want to own it. You're like, it's Mass Effect. Yeah. I, I need to wait. I did that with the Mario 3D All-Stars, to be fair. Like, I bought that <laughs> thing, played a little bit of 64, but it's more just so it's there when I need it. Um, now, alongside the release date, obviously, some other details of the package, if you will, uh, were elaborated on. So one thing I think we already knew, but it does include all three games from the original trilogy with over 40 pieces of downloadable content of various sizes. Um, and while they've been careful along the way to make sure people don't confuse this with a remake, is most definitely a remastered uh, experience. You can expect uh, 4K HDR visuals that have been overhauled, to use their word, enhanced performance, new models, shaders, FX lighting, and depth of field. Um, They've also uh, tweaked some gameplay and other elements along the way. The examples they gave are weapon rebalancing, better Mako controls, which of course were infamously bad in, in the first Mass Effect, <laughs> yeah. as well as having the sort of model for Femshep from Mass Effect 3 be carried backwards to become like available. Because I think there was some weird thing where the female, like the Femshep model in the original games was like a little bit, she looked like she was made out of clay, a little bit weird looking, <laughs> dead, dead behind the eyes. So, dead inside. Um, yes. Um, it's also worth noting for anyone wondering about the visual side of things, they've pretty much confirmed that PS5 and Xbox Series X versions of this game will never come out. This is a going to be a backwards right. compatibility title indefinitely. There's actually an interesting little quote that I didn't pull, but the guy was basically talking about how he felt like putting a PS5 or a Series X title on there like, almost would have felt a bit like cheating. They didn't want this to feel like more yeah. than it is, which is like, hey, these are old last generation games at a higher resolution. We're not going to pretend like these are like next-gen experiences, which I thought was kind of weirdly honest. Yeah. Also, I, I, if I mean it's going to be 4K HDR, right? Um, remasters. Then 
what I can't see what you'd be bringing to the table if you made a PlayStation Five Xbox Series X version anyway. Like you can experience it at sixty frames a second. It's like how have you done that? We've just divided the number of frames there by two. Nothing is running any faster or looking any better. It's just yeah. I don't know. It'd feel weird because the game is not. It was. I think that yeah. No, you said weirdly. Honestly, I think it's good that they've that they've said that. I. It's funny because like they've said, it's not a remake. It is a remaster. Mm. But if you're talking new models, shaders, FX lighting, and depth of field, I think that I think that would be a very interesting. Um, it's an interesting take on remaster, right? Because that's doing a lot more than just remastering. Right. Sounds like they're gonna make it look pretty slick, and yeah, I'm keen for that. The, I was going to say the feeling. I don't know if this like is compatible with what you were thinking, but the feeling I got reading the interview that he did with whoever it was around this, the director of this package, was that they are being careful to undersell and overdeliver at this stage. Right. So I don't. Wanna, I don't want to like draw too many parallels um, with Mafia, but if I had to say, so for example, I, we've talked about the fact that Mafia One was remade and it's incredible. Like Mafia One is brilliant. Mafia Two is a remaster and it's. Sh- shit like i don't want to like if you're expect not not like the game is but if you're expecting it to be on par with mafia one it's just a remaster and it's not great by any stretch like yeah um, so if this is mafia 2 then i'm gonna be this is mafia 2 because (laughs) mafia 1 was built from the ground up no but i mean but if this is as if this is as straightforward a remaster as mafia 2 i'd be like so uh, I think if it's halfway, it's not between it's, one and two. Maybe it's halfway. It depends. Like, like we're editors, right? Like, it's, it's like there's a different the difference between like opening up a previous project and making some changes, <laughs> and like saying actually I'm going to do an entirely new sequence and redo everything again. Like, there's an yes. interview again that I talked about that I when I referenced before where he talks about they considered going up to Unreal Engine four because these were all made in Unreal Engine three, and they looked at doing that, and they basically looked at it and said. This is too much work. It's right. a weirdly honest interview. Like I said, he they looked and said, "There's we'd have to redo so much of what's already done for this trilogy. We're not going to do it." So they're being careful to make sure people know the fundamentals. These are those same games. It's the same code, the same concepts. They're just like swapping out some models and uh, upping the resolution, and it's going to perform better and load faster. You know, right? It's hard. It's, it's uh, the reason I think this might be different though is with what they've said is because of the type of game it is. Because what you're doing in Mass Effect, if you just if you had new models, new lighting and stuff, I think that'll make a lot more of a difference to the game and how it feels than I hope so. a game because it's less you know it's more important about what the models look like and you're doing a lot of conversation, you're doing a lot of walking here, doing doing this, doing that. That it's not like a first person shooter where the game's going to feel dated just through the controls mm. as such. I mean, I'm sure it will to such. To some degree, but it won't be as bad. <laughs> Mass Effect One, I've got a feeling, will definitely feel dated no matter what they do to it. Oh, like Mass yeah, Effect One's no... Mass Effect One, right? Yes, but Mass Effect Three, like I think it could probably look pretty wicked. Yeah, with just a uh, remaster. There, there is it look the... great. It looks good anyway. Like, yeah, you know. there is a trailer uh, for this thing um, that came out alongside this announcement, oh, but I've yet I've it. yet to see anyone. I'm sure some people have made a side by side. But I've yet to see a side by side that does really cool, like swipey wipey things where you can go, "Oh wow, look at that!" <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure someone will do it eventually. Uh, I saw one person it's, stitch up two versions of the trailer, but they didn't do any side by sides, and it's weirdly difficult right. to remember what one thing looks like and then immediately look at something else and spot the difference. As I always realise when I'm try- trying to figure out if my HDR is working. Look. 
yeah, just yeah, looks the sure. same. <laughs> I, I, so why I struggle with like obviously remake is a remake, but when remasters seem to be quite difficult to gauge sometimes. Like they'll True. say remaster, and you'll see it, and you'll go, "This looks awful," and they'll say remaster, and you're going, "Oh wow, this looks pretty good." Like it's hard to tell sometimes for me. Um, I agree with that. Where it's gonna where it's gonna come. Um, not- like, for example, if you told me that the new Prince of Persia game was a r- straight remaster, I'd believe you because it looks pretty crappy. See, but then at the same time, I, I I wouldn't because I look at that and say, "Wow, this looks shit." But those aren't the same assets. Like they remade the <laughs> right. elements that are going into this. Yeah, so, it, 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 but I agree. It's a confusing thing, <laughs> and we're probably doomed for as long as these products exist to continue to interchange, like like change between which word we use and using it wrong. Tell you one thing they have done, though. Uh, we yeah. mentioned specifically the elevators, the Mass Effect elevators, and the hidden load times in the lifts. They've confirmed that the, the lift up to the Citadel, Citadel, Citadel's Presidium level now takes 14 seconds down from 52. I don't know on which nice. platform that is, but uh, may even no be faster on next-gen in backwards compatibility, for all we know. But uh, yes, and they for anyone wondering, uh, this is an honourable mention just for Chris, they have not yet ruled out the possibility of a switch port in the future, but it doesn't sound like it's a priority. <laughs> Jonesy, I know you're desperate to play the Mass Effect trilogy in all its glory on the Nintendo <laughs> Switch, probably in handheld mode too, right? In a, on a bumpy car journey. It'd be better to play in handheld mode than it would on a TV. <laughs> okay, fair. well, that's an interesting take. I th- it always looks worse on the TV. Switch always looks worse on a TV. Uh, there's, yeah, I suppose. I mean, yeah. Because the relative size of your TV versus, well, it, when, like, the, unless you sit here with the screen, well, like on, on, in, 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 in docked mode, it does output a higher resolution image than it does in handheld. But you're right because of the screen size difference, it usually is a bit shite. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, moving on from Mass Effect, as I did mention though, that this was all happening alongside an EA earnings call where they usually have to state some of the other things they've got going on in the near future. Um, and there were a few other tidbits of information that came out. One was more of an official announcement that EA have announced the return of EA Sports College Football, which, from what I gather from some American folks, is a big deal. Because they say, hey, what if we played Madden, but it was people we didn't know that were still at university? <laughs> they have Their college football thing is so huge, isn't it, in, in America? They absolutely love it. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm surprised it's... Um... So is it coming back? I'm surprised that um, I think, it's, I th- yeah, I it think, went away. I think they stopped for a few for some time. I think there were lots of weird like difficulties with the rights surrounding college footballers, um, and clearly whatever issues they had, they were able to sort of push past that. Uh, and now they are they are back on track. So from what I can see, the last one there was a thing called NCAA Football 14, uh, which was an EA Sports joint. That came out in the right. summer of 2013. Um, and now, as, as I, we said, they've just announced it's coming back. <laughs> I know the NFL get their people from like all the colleges and stuff. So I understand that the best players yeah. in the world come up through the colleges. But so, so before any Americans get annoyed with me for saying this, I can't imagine there being a, a football, as in soccer, like FIFA version, where they say, we want younger, like worse players in a football game. I know what you That's mean. Like, imagine, it like, seems a little. Like, like, the, the, I suppose the FIFA version, because again, we don't have the. Uh, you, there's no co- correlation between university football. That's the funny thing about football, right? It's like university football isn't a thing because if you're not right. playing professional football by the time you're 18, you're not going to be a professional footballer. 
Like no, that we have. Well, was it Wayne Rooney was sixteen when he got oh, into bro, the, like, uh, the international like, side? There's a guy who played for Chelsea tonight as we're recording this that joined the academy and he was like seven or eight and had to live with a foster family. Like, but kid- I know, but I mean, but they play. They even yes. play like professionally when they're like fifteen years 15, old. Yes, they, they? They, legally they can play from like sixteen, and yeah, the most, right. the yeah sixteen year olds play very regularly at, across the board. Um, maybe some fifteen year olds in some scenarios, yeah. The equivalent in the UK or like in Europe would be a game called like Jumpers for Goalposts, where it was all the different <laughs> yeah. uh, secondary schools around the country, or, and you'd be playing on a school field. Or I was thinking like eSports FIFA Academy Edition, where it's just all the academy of players <laughs> right. from all the Premier League yeah. clubs. Um, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. There isn't, you know, doesn't really. I knew a kid when I was a bit younger. I knew a kid, and he was. Um, I think he is just a little aside for you. He got asked to join Arsenal's academy. Right. He was not nine or ten, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, yep. And he was, the, he didn't do it. And the reason he didn't do it was because the number of, um, uh, so I knew his parents, but then the written, uh, they basically said, um, if he does it, he can't play football anywhere else except at the academy, even if it was like playing with his mates down the park. Right. He wasn't allowed to. So they were like, hold on. He's a, he's ten or maybe he was twelve. I can't remember. But like he's a he's a kid, and you're saying that he can't play football anywhere else. Like that's that's rubbish. Like yeah. And how many? What percentage of your kids end up be, like actually playing for Arsenal? And it was some like low percentage. Yes. And I think it was like you could ruin his childhood for the for a chance that he gets to play. It's brutal. At a high level. It's fucking so, cut. Say he didn't cutthroat. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but uh, so I suppose what we're saying is not going to happen for football, but NFL fans or American <laughs> yeah, football fans uh, rejoice. Um, and the other thing that confirmed out of this, sort of, is uh, something that was something of an open secret at this point. Yeah, have confirmed that the Battlefield ser- series will return this year with a reveal expected in spring, followed by a launch in holiday 2021. All they said about it was that it will be a return to all-out military warfare that will, quote, take full advantage of the power of next-generation platforms to create battles with more players than ever before. So Battlefield's still pushing the, hey, look how many people are in this match at once narrative. Uh, Not sure that's the (laughs) battle they really need to win at this stage, but yeah. I'm sure you want another aside, so here's a little one. Okay. Um, I have my old PlayStation 4 in my bedroom, specifically for watching like movies and stuff. Makes sense. The wife and I thought we'd check out the witches that I bought her for Christmas. Lovely. Me. The witches, um, like the the witches with Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Okay. Clicked on the eject button on the PlayStation. I haven't turned on for a, for a good while. And what popped out when I opened it? Battlefield Five. And I actually went, ah, because <laughs> I rem- I remembered like the 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 tiny rise and the decline of that game and it was un- i think it was unfair and it made me feel a little bit bad for battlefield yeah there are some passionate yeah. battlefield players in our community did you know understandably it's a good series and battlefield 5 is a good game but they sometimes they just can't get any love sometimes those games just seem to get um that's why i made the r sound because yeah. i think it's like it's so easy to go well call of duty uh cold war in two months or coming out, coming out like what two months before the end of the year is the second biggest game, um, or the biggest game. What no, second biggest game of the year mm. in two months. Battlefield could come out and like barely make the top ten. I think Battlefield still does okay, but certainly the 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 fall off and the the kind of the the long term prospects of five uh, did did suffer. They did struggle. 
they released the their battle royale mode, which I can't remember what it's called Firestorm or something like that. Um, I, oh blimey! I think we didn't we play it. We did play it. We did play it. We even streamed it. We set up this really fancy four man streaming. Oh thing god! Gee, oh yeah! In the basement, I forgot that was a thing. Yeah, like it, did, it, it, it didn't work. Store. It didn't work. Um, and then Warzone's absolutely smashing it. They must sit there yeah. and go, "Why? What but, happened?" You know what didn't smash it in the eyes of most fans was Black Ops Cold God. War itself. So I do wonder. No. You know, one of the things around Battlefield Six or whatever it ends up going to being called is that. They haven't done modern military really since Battlefield Four, which was, I believe, like a more or less a launch title for like the PS4 and the, like uh, the Xbox One. Like for so, it would be a long-awaited return to that modern environment, that modern setting for the Battlefield series. Yeah. After you know, doing Hardline, which was the cops one, then one in World War One, and five in World War Two. I'd be very interested to play a game that. A more Battlefield 3, Battlefield 4 inspired entry in the series. Here is my prediction. Okay. It's not going to happen, but here's my prediction. Okay. Battlefield 6 is the, is the game that blows uh, Battle Royales out of the water. They have massive, like 200 people battles, 250 people battles, where they're maps the size of Warzone, but. It is an actual war zone. Right. And there are like buildings collapsing in real time, particle effects, crazy shit. And it is See? epic. And everyone gets away from Battle Royales because Battlefield 6 makes something. The thing beautiful. is, like, when it comes to the element of your argument that talks about like it taking away from Battle Royales, I won't, I won't comment, I won't speculate. But what you're talking about, like EA and DICE with that budget and that team using the hardware at their disposal on the PS5 and the Xbox Series X to create a like the closest thing we've really seen to all out war in multiplayer format is totally believable. Like I, I can see them pushing hard in that direction. Whether or not it makes people shy away from like Warzone and saying, hey, there's two hundred people in this battlefield right now, like, I dunno. But that's a clear direction for them to try and pursue. Do you know what's amazing in mercenaries? when you could nuke a building and the building fell down. Mm. Imagine, obviously Battlefield, Battlefield 6 haven't announced what they're doing yet and just said it's big, it's going to be a lot of people. Imagine it in Warzone that you could get something, kind of like they, they touted for Fallout 76, which I don't really know how well that actually works, whereby you could access a computer and you could launch like a nuke or you could airstrike. If, actually, there you go. You could even just have fancy airstrikes that took out a whole building. So if you have a team of snipers camping on a building and you could wipe the whole building off the map, yeah, that would be all. Like, that would be. Epic. I was just imagining like uh, almost like some kind of like almost milsim style stuff. Like I know you were messing with armor <laughs> the other day. Like a ginormous map, like a map that puts the battle royale maps to shame. And it has like one base over at the top and one base at the bottom. Um, and like you go in and you pick a side and like obviously battlefield is big about classes and roles and like really prioritizing that stuff and like saying okay there's a skirmish that's happening like fucking five miles up the road and we're taking heavy casualties we need medics out there so if you spawn as a medic you're like part of a team of medics and you have to like get in a vehicle that's being you're being like like you know shepherded out there by like some other units and stuff like that and you're like get the medics over here because we need to start like resuscitating this person that'd be cool man i'd like that you can really try and like nail down on some of that Milsim style, hey, play your role in a really large battle, but without the intensity and the kind of the commitment to 
whatever it is like role playing or just like hardcore gameplay elements that those mill sims sometimes thrive on yeah some of the sim stuff is they're too hard on the sim aspect they need to just like yeah. rein some of that in. you don't want to actually do like, a three hour journey to get to the front like you know? yeah, go back to what you said like it'd be cool if this was a battlefield game that said hey you can be a sniper and kill people from like fucking six miles away you know like yes. if you get it or if you get all the the wind speed right and and the bullet drop and so on and so forth um we'll, we'll see. I, we'll see. i'm a I'm a fan of bad. I'm a fan of Bad Company, as people know if they've watched our um, best game ever. Yeah. Um, and Bad Company too, and some of that uh, the destructible scenery is always fine. And I do think that's something which is uh, the only. I can't. You know. The I. I think you can blow the doors up in PUBG. Obviously, in um, uh, say it. Fortnite, you can say it. You can destroy stuff. Say it. In Warzone. Whoa, say it. What? The best destruction what? in video game history. Say it. No. Say it. You j- no, Say I'm not. It. I'm talking about battle royales. Say it. I'm talking about battle royales. Jonesy, I watched <laughs> as the buildings of Mars crumbled at my feet. Say it. <laughs> the worst destruction. Do you know what? Bloody um, I can't remember what it's called now. Red Red Faction Gorilla. Red Faction. Red Faction One was better than Red Faction Gorilla with its destruction. Oh no, it wasn't. I cannot stand the destruction no, of Gorilla. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> that is a little aside in joke. I can't stand the Meccano building destruction of of Red Giant Gorilla. Those buildings are built the Meccano, Meccano buildings. Battlefield's destruction is a lot better nowadays than Red Faction's is nowadays, but Red Faction Gorilla was for a game that wasn't that interesting <laughs> beyond its destruction, pretty cool. Do you know in a game that I played that reminded me of the um Meccano buildings in Red Faction Gorilla was the um uh, was in infamous i think it was maybe second son hmm. the way some of those they have some areas and things that you can bash down and they that was they were meccano as well <laughs> just pa- planes planes stuck together long planes short planes different planes and then they just all fall to pieces something with underrated destruction because it's all indoors if you think about it but i'm playing at the moment control like there are a lot of individual elements there oh. that break apart really nicely um and yes. i had kind of yeah. taken that for granted anyway so the toilets smash to pieces really nicely. Like, yeah, like toilets, walls, pillars, like desks and stuff like yeah. that. Everything kind of breaks apart in a way that's like you're like actually fair play. Um, Particle physics in that game are legit. They are on they are, point. They are legit. Very very good. Um, but yeah, Battlefield. We'll find out more in a in inside the next three months, I guess. Uh, we'll see exactly. Yeah, hope, hopefully. I was I, there. Always a there is a um, that's a, an IP that I always want to see come back strong. It never makes me feel good when when. A battlefield game does badly. No, Battlefield at its best is is uh, not just good, but importantly, it's different enough from Call of Duty than some people give it credit for. And I'd love to see it take up its place in that kind of hey, there's there there is room for two of us in this town kind of a situation. But we'll see if that happens. Yes. Um, and speaking of the biggest rival uh, and some of the other biggest rivals to Battlefield, certainly in the first person scene, um, I know you were doing a little bit of looking around for stories, and one of the things we came across were. Uh, a handful of stories that came out around the cheating scenes in some of the uh, bigger competitive first-person shooters uh, that are around uh, on the market at the moment. I know you were looking specifically at the way Ubisoft, for example, were handling some of that stuff. Yeah, so um, there was an interesting blog update um, from Ubisoft specifically about Rainbow Six Siege and how in 2020 um, they've been dealing with cheaters uh, and hackers um, and 
also the companies that develop cheats and so they put out a, a blog update where they have basically said that they have banned 91,000 people or just over um in 2020 from um cheating in Rainbow Six Siege um which was a 50% increase on 2019 but they also went into some interesting details about um sort of how they're having to deal with it and how it's changing how the world of cheating and those third party companies you know like writing those cheats and selling them to people how that's changing and how they're sort of got this constant battle where they're trying to improve their tech um and every time they do that the people that are creating the software um they're sort of upping their game it's, it's, it was an interesting read and just mm. to see how they've um not only have they banned 50% more people they've actually said that they've started to look at new ways of uh identifying cheaters and one that i thought was um sort of quite interesting was around the idea of um uh using player data and it's actually something that you were telling me about before the pod jamie which is rather than out and out saying is this person cheating like can we look at the code can we look at what they've done in the game and see that they're cheating or that they're using an aimbot or that they're using sort of like running really fast but looking at data around what you should expect um a player to be able to achieve in a game and what they're actually getting and utilizing that data to go well it's not possible for this person, or it's probably unlikely for this person to be able to do X, Y, and Z. Um, yeah. They're not an unranked, they're not a ranked player. They're not, you know, really good at this, not really good. But how are they managing to get, you know, ridiculously high, um, uh, like, accuracy or or even, like, kill-to-death rates or whatever it is? So they've been looking at that with um, Rainbow Six Siege. Um, they've also been working more closely, as I said, with Battleye, who are the independent, um, I don't know, what, you, what would you call them? Like, anti-cheat? um like software company yeah. or they're not but they're not soft are they software they're more like a uh like a solution i guess they're a company in their own right that deal with things in third party oh, i'll see but if i can you, find out how they describe themselves shall i i know that with, when you play armor 3 for example that um you have to sign you basically allow um some battle eye to be on your pc and to and for the game to run through it so i imagine it's like a just a third party bit of software which like looks at code as you're playing or something but Yes, um, they they describe themselves simply as the anti-cheat gold standard. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, so they've been doing a lot. So yeah, Ubisoft are saying, hey, look, we've been doing a lot. We've been doing a lot for not only the past year, um, where we banned six, 91,000 people, we banned, um, what, like 70,000 people the year before that. So we're really doing the utmost to make sure there's people who, with they're doing whatever they can to stop cheaters mm. um, in rainbow six siege so well done ubisoft because that is actually pretty counter to um what's been going on with warzone isn't up to now anyway Jamie. yeah because it seems warzone was having uh the opposite problem where they were having uh increasing uh pressures uh being placed on them to start dealing with the the rampant cheating that's going on in that game but seemingly not being able to or not being willing to do anything about it it came to a head a few times recently where there was some rather high-profile tournaments, sometimes with cash prizes on the line, that were infiltrated by cheaters or messed around by cheaters, cheating becoming an alarmingly common custom that uh, content creators and streamers were having to to face, which actually led to a story that uh, broke this week where a UK-based YouTuber called Vicstar, who is one of the sidemen out here, um, he essentially announced uh, over Twitter and, in a, and over YouTube in a video that's been viewed over 1.5 million times that he was quitting Warzone. Uh, and he said that the game was in the worst state it has ever been and essentially no longer wants to put up with the kind of hackers and cheaters that they have to put up with 
being themselves high-skilled players who get in the lobbies that the cheaters themselves also get in as well, um, because inevitably cheaters end up being some of the best players of the game um, because they have more tools at hand to enable them to do so. Um, but, Jonesy, uh, Activision have taken some steps recently in the days before this podcast to address these issues. They came out, they released a blog, blog post. They didn't really acknowledge that much had gone wrong. They said that they had a, a zero-tolerance policy on cheating, which there's some evidence to suggest that it can't quite have been zero. Maybe a very <laughs> low number, but probably not zero. But they are taking some steps to to do stuff about it. For example, 60,000 accounts were banned overnight alongside this blog post, which, again, going back to what you were saying just then, 91,000 Siege players banned in all of 2020. So two-thirds of the number of Siege players banned across a year banned in Warzone overnight and in seemingly immediate response to pressure from content creators and streamers uh, who were threatening to not play the game ever again, which uh, big source of revenue drive for uh, for Activision. That's probably why they got scared. Um, guess it's worth noting but- as well. Sorry, I'll just quickly say that they have claimed <laughs> that they are increasing their efforts and capabilities in a number of key areas, including their internal anti-cheat software. So a turnaround or a little pop of uh, good publicity we'll, we'll we'll know over the coming weeks months but yeah but that's how you know that they're talking absolute bullshit yeah it's because they banned sixty thousand accounts so you like we said two-thirds of the people that ubisoft have banned from siege in one year they did it overnight which means that they must know how to identify these accounts they must know metrics they can use to identify those accounts um and they did it overnight yeah. so they I'm going to go so far as they they knew who the cheaters were and they just weren't that bothered. Yeah. yeah like, because let's be, you can't, let's you, be serious. You have to have a list of those 60,000 potential hackers lying around. Like, you can't verify 60,000 hacking claims overnight. No. You have to have evidence to no. believe that those are verified claims and be able to just, you know, pull the trigger on it. Like, I don't know. You And then it gets really, it does get dodgy and it does get a bit dirty when you're talking about games like um, like Warzone and stuff that are free to play as well because you've got to think just because those people are cheating doesn't mean they're not spending money on the game doesn't mean they're not buying the battle pass doesn't especially battle passes they must be very like um, enticing if you're cheating because you know you're going to get through the whole battle pass because yep, okay. you're going to get like so much XP you're going to get so far in that and, game and the, and the risk of you losing your account appears extremely diminished compared to almost every other game on the market yeah so you probably find actually that a lot of people using cheats um, are moving toward you know they must pull towards certain games that don't kick you out because if you're getting kicked out of other um, other games you're gonna just gravitate well, towards the ones so which let you play. You mentioned Battleye, right? Uh, Battleye, yeah. not a service or what that I'm particularly familiar with, but on their website, obviously they talk about all the people they work with. I'm gonna throw some name game names out there. Um, Armor, so and Armor two and three, obviously Daisy, H1Z1, Ark Survival Evolved, Planetside Two. Uh, Rainbow Six Siege, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Fortnite Battle Royale, uh, Escape from Tarkov. Uh, even just if I just stop there, how many major online shooters in the PC space are there left? Yeah, there aren't many. Like Overwatch, they do their own shit. Uh, Valve, CSGO. Valve, yeah, so Valve do all their own shit on CSGO right. and games like that. So, like, 
Activision are this weird outlier where like they're not going to do what Ubisoft are doing and some other companies are doing and embracing third-party software. They're going to stand by their own shit, but their own shit isn't working. There's a huge disconnect. This it does it gets, does get weird as a mediocre Warzone player. It makes me wonder how many because I've never thought of like I'm I'm not someone who bumps into cheaters. I would say because I'm too I'm not good enough to to be playing them. Um, I think I can probably count on like a couple of fingers the number of times I think I've encountered someone cheating in a game like that. And it's yeah. purely because it's like you see the kill cam and you're like, well, that looks weird. Exactly. Um, yeah. But. I got to imagine that um, 60,000, that's a lot of people, especially if they're playing this game a lot. And it does make me wonder how many times have I bumped into someone using, who's not a cheater extraordinaire, but is getting a little bit of help from um, some cheats. Um, And you do wonder how much of a difference it would make to the game. Like how much would it improve your, your, um, your experience because you would do slightly better than you do uh, in some time, you know, yeah. on the game in, in some respects um i'm sure there are people who are better who are like better than me but not the best who have genuinely had the game ruined by by yeah. people cheating and just yeah. by you know uh, uh, being uh, uh, dickheads and i think you actually make a really uh strong point there about whether or not you're actually being affected by hackers or cheaters or whatever you want to call them the idea of a doubt or an uncertainty around that stuff can sometimes be just as painful and like you talk about the degrees of cheating and how obvious it is. Obviously, some people use you know really bad like obvious aimbots, whereas we were talking about before we start recording, snapping from one head to another to another to another and getting six <laughs> yeah. kills in a game. You're not going to last long doing that. But me and my uh, the people, some of the people I play Warzone with, we were talking about peripherals. Like there's a peripheral called uh, the Cronus Zen is the latest product. Uh, the previous one was called the Cronus Max, which is essentially a peripheral that you feed your controller through, and it's compatible on consoles as well as PC. So, you know, there's no barrier to entry, really, uh, apart from buying the device. Um, and it it's not recognized as, cheap because, as a cheat because it doesn't mess with the fundamental piece of software in terms of the game you're playing with. It doesn't do anything to alter, like, say, let's say Warzone. It doesn't do anything to change the fundamentals of Warzone. All it yeah. does is change what's happening on the controller. And from what I understand, it essentially is like a really enhanced version of various macro commands. And an easy example that I can think of at the top of my head is, if you imagine a semi-automatic rifle, it will, like, yeah. and the amount of recoil it might have, uh, it might say, okay, every time the user pulls the right trigger, move the or do the equivalent of moving the right analog stick down the right amount to the point where there's no recoil. Ah, so you end up with these devices that can significantly lower um, and sometimes even eliminate recoil. They can enhance aim assist. They can do other controller-based demands, like little things like automatically holding your breath for you every time you aim down sights with a sniper rifle, automatically pinging a target every time an enemy enters your crosshair, because these are all controller-based commands, but the game will never be able to identify you as a cheater because you're not doing anything to the game. It's something that's between the controller and the console that changes the commands, essentially, that are being input. Um, It's funny, because you'd you'd think that... So, so for example, I'd think that you could quite... Maybe easy is not the way to say it, but you know when you they run the hundred meters in the Olympics, right? Yeah. Um, it is judged as a false start, even if you run after the gun has gone, but you run too quickly after the gun has gone, so that you are outside of the the what they would consider um human reaction speed. I don't I don't know what it is, but let's say you oh, run so 0.2 like seconds. If someone guessed that the gun was going to go and like happened to time it too perfectly, 
it's nice it's not the idea i don't think is guessing i think the idea is that they start their run so they tell their body to move before the gun has gone off the gun then goes off they start to move which means that they started the chain of events before the gun had gone which means that it's an unfair race so they then that is a full start so even if you're 0.2 seconds or 1.1 whatever it is after the gun it's still a full start so for me um you'd think that maybe you could say to input pushing down on the joystick that well to adjust for recoil at that rate is not possible within you know like a human yeah do you see what i mean yes like you're reacting uh i don't know what the word would be superhuman in a superhuman fashion Mm. to some of these inputs but that's the only way you could probably get around stuff like that because like you said it's not even it's not even the computer doesn't recognize it i don't even know how easy it is to detect that stuff but the reason I was going to bring right, that yeah. up is that's kind of like this weird middle ground where you mentioned the doubt, like the like that's it's a horrible feeling playing a game and being killed by someone. You watch the kill cam and said, "I don't know if that person was significantly better than me or if they had an unfair advantage." And at some point, a game like Warzone can be played by enough of those stories, enough of those situations that even everyday players start to think to themselves, "Hang on a second, what what was that? Did that was there anything weird about that?" And you're only so, you know. Only a little bit of second guessing before you're kind of on the ropes with that stuff. And then and you could either go two ways. Well, I suppose you could either just go, well, I'm just going to have to deal with it. But you could then decide I'm not going to play the game, which is obviously yeah. terrible for the, the game manufacturers. But you could go the other way and say, well, do you know what? Everyone else is using this Kronos Zen thing, I'm sure, because they have to be. They have to be cheating or they have to be using, um, they have to be using aimbots or whatever. So I'm going to do it as well. Yeah. And then you make the problem worse. I mean, the last time I looked, the Cronus Zen had, I believe, or Cronus-related products. They're currently on back order um, uh, up till uh, some point in March, I believe it is. Um, wow. And I, there was someone said somewhere um, that, uh, yeah, so the, the current uh, pre-order sale are for the ones being dispatched on the 30th of March. So basically, you won't... You order it now, you won't get until April. That's how in demand that product is. And I think there are already over a million of them out there in the wild. And they resell. Jesus Christ. They sell uh, retail for uh, an eighty nine ninety nine. If you're happy to wait, you go on to eBay. That more than doubles. Uh, for Jesus anyone wondering, Christ. I know this stuff because I know someone who has one. And again, if you take the, the face value, this is someone I play with's brother in law. The claim made was that their kill death ratio in Warzone went from zero point five to one point five. What? So t- take it out with a pinch of salt. Obviously, not someone I know personally, friend of a friend, if you will. But um, but let's see that that does annoy me because that does annoy me because you know my KD in Warzone is point five three point five four I think, um, and that would that makes me think. So if I play a game and someone who's the same sort of uh, level as me buys one of these things. When they first put it on and attach it, I could I could meet them in the war zone and I mm-hmm. could get bested by them, um, and I'm just putting it down to how shit I am at war zone. Yep. But actually, and if that's happening re- happening like regularly, and then they're building up, they're going to the higher difficulty um, lobbies and things. But at the beginning, you know, me and all the other mediocre dads who don't get to play very often have got a face off of all these people, and it's just and I'm not gonna lie. It still burns me that I've never won a proper a regular war zone. Uh, yeah. Regular war zone. I'm still. Um, I've won two rebirths, but I've never won one of the uh, the full on proper ones, and it still 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 hurts me to this day. Jeremy. I got a win yesterday, wherein I got one kill 
And when I died, there was one person left on our team, and it was him against five other teams and 15 other people. And he, wow. he clutched it. He survived until he, he won a one on three to win the whole game. Jesus Christ, that is impressive. Yeah. Uh, so it just goes to show, like, sometimes you don't even have to be good to get a win. You just need to play with good people. <laughs> so I'm sorry that you, yeah, that I'm sorry very, that yeah, I'm the one... only person who, I'm sorry I haven't been able to help you out in that respect, I guess. Oh, no, like, the, one, one of my rebirth wins, as some people will know from a short I uploaded to my own channel, is that Jamie killed 15 people on his own on Rebirth Island to get that win. And because uh, I'd managed to kill me and Ruffle. Martin Ruffle from just interesting in the first three minutes, but in, in but a doing a very so. yeah, I was going to say a very cool uh, <laughs> helicopter rescue operation. I will say you were trying to save me. Don't forget, we were trying to save you. So, yeah. uh, you know, I thank you for that. Anyway, um, I guess we'll keep tabs on the anti-cheat situation as it develops both in Warzone and uh, as Ubisoft continue to work with BattleEye to keep games like Rainbow Six Siege clean hold and filth-free. Can you hold on one? One sec, mate. I'm just putting in my order on Amazon for a Kronos Zen. Yeah, so of course. Put... Yeah, and uh, <laughs> uh, let me know how it goes. Me, Jonesy and I will be streaming Warzone. I don't know. Let's say sometime in April. Uh, he's going to be putting in a lot of practice between now and then, so expect to see some big improvements. <laughs> Do you know what was one of my favourite um, uh, types of? Uh, you know this because I've because the amount of times I've quoted it. But uh, one of my favourite types of Twitch video, like that, always end up on YouTube, is when people get caught out cheating yeah and they like accidentally leave the aimbot on screen or something and of course the uh the best example is that that bitch clara yeah um the the girl what's she playing csgo and then she CS, uh yeah. and everyone realizes that she's cheating and then the the howls of delight and disbelief that they let rip on the, and she's just feigns ignorance it is amazing that if you haven't bitch seen clara it, if you haven't seen that that bitch clara should that be our key, yeah. our key, a little uh, phrase, catchphrase for the uh, for this oh, week's episode? Yeah, just everyone type. I'm just going to check that bitch Clara, just to make sure that if you type it in, what if you type in that uh, bitch Clara, it comes up? Yeah, because I because if in case no people haven't seen it, it actually doesn't. Let me try YouTube and that see bitch it Clara. I'm sure it would. If you Google it, the first the first result is uh is uh, YouTube have got it as well. So if you go to YouTube and you want to see the clip, is yeah that bitch Clara. I think she's using a wall hack, uh, in, um, not an aimbot. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's both. No, I, maybe think, it's both. I, no, I think you're right. I think I, if I remember the clip rightly, I think it was walls. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, great code word. That bitch, Clara, is the uh, is the code word. Yes. Um, for this week, it is indeed. Thank you uh, very much to everyone, whether you're watching or listening, for making it this far to the end of this podcast. Again, do let us know in the YouTube comment section by leaving that little catchphrase. And uh, if you've been watching, or sorry, excuse me, listening on a podcasting platform of your choice, and it is one that allows you to leave a review, then hey, maybe consider leaving us a cheeky little five-star review because it does help us all uh, in the long run. Um, but yes, once again, thank you to anyone and everyone watching or listening around the world. Thank you very much to you, Jonesy, for joining me for this two-hour-plus-long venture. We've, we've, yeah, we made a journey of this. Um, we'll be back Chris again. Chris will be happy. He will be. <laughs> Actually... Actually, yes, he will, because if us doing a two-hour-plus-long one means we can get away with doing an under-two-hour one next week, <laughs> and those are his favourites. He's in and yeah. out, that boy. Anyway, we'll be back again, same time, same places next week. Hopefully, we'll see you there. Uh, yeah. That's it. I, I, should, I should have... You know what? With hindsight, I should have said, hopefully, we'll see you there in a way that sounded a bit more definitive, like the ending of a podcast. <laughs> should I try it again? Yeah. You do it. Go for hopefully, it. Hopefully, see you there. Bye. See ya.